All right. Welcome back, everyone, to Get the Net. Been a little bit, but we are coming back with a banger. We got Bob Azumi coming on tonight. Absolute childhood hero, Canadian icon, derby guy, all-around beauty. Don't need to pump his tires. You know who he is. Um, definitely going to want to stick around for that. We got to touch on a few things from the Bassmaster Opens. We got to talk Lake Winnipeg Greenbacks even. I'm, I'm part of the part of the pack on that front now. So plenty to talk about. Lots to catch up on. We're going to have lots of laughs. I'm sure Bob will have a few good stories for us. So uh, stick around. We'll see you on the other side of this intro. Welcome to Get the Net, a fishing podcast that takes a deep dive into competitive events, fishing news, tips, tactics, and most importantly, interviews with some of the most interesting and in-tuned anglers from Canada to the central U.S. We're leaving no stone unturned to bring you the most raw and authentic talk talk. My name is Jamie Bruce, and while my resume says bass, my frying pan says walleye, I'm no stranger to the multi-species realm. Whether you're puttering on tackle, driving the bus, cutting the grass, or killing time in a 9 to 5, I'll try to give you something in every episode to take with you on the water, or at the very least, bring you a few laughs. Alright, thanks everyone for tuning in. Glad to be back in the saddle here. I've been uh, doing a few podcasts for Straycast for Into the Great Wide Opens, so, um, you know, and that's been fun with uh, Brad Lightburn and Pat and all the guests we've had, and, you know, pretty much focused on the Bassmaster Opens. Um, if you, uh, if you haven't been following along with that, um, check it out. It's, uh, it's on my platforms and it's on uh, the straight cast channel as well. The first open of the year kicked off down in Eufaula, Alabama. Uh, I made the, I think it took around 28 or 30 hour drive down there. Literally went from ice fishing in, uh, the Windigo ice fishing tournament, like two days before to, um, looking at alligators in base <laughs> with a bait caster in my hand. So, a uh, bit of a culture shock there. Um, glad to have the first one out of the way. The results really weren't uh, what I was after, but it's uh, it's a nine tournament points race. Um, I'm sitting in 86 out of the 175. They're doing it all, so just right in the middle of the pack, which, I mean, you're going to have those every year. Um, if you can keep kind of your your real bad ones to a minimum and, and make up with some good ones, you'll be sailing. Um I really wasn't too bummed about it. Like I said, it was just major culture shock. I, I knew going into it, like I've only been to two before. One was on smallmouth bass. One was on spotted bass. Both were super far away, but I knew I wasn't just going to wheel up to a Southern largemouth lake and light them up. So, um, you know, if that's the worst one of the year, then that's fine. <sighs> Never did catch a limit on the second day. I had 14 pounds on the first day and it ended up being a like an offshore whack fest. So there were a lot of haves and have nots in that tournament and, and I had a lot of things go against me. Not a big excuse guy. Um, you know, I, I kind of pride myself on on being able to overcome that adversity and and just being really resilient to a lot of things. So I'm not going to sit here and whine about everything that that went wrong. I'm going to take my nine fish that the lake gave me and uh, and carry on to the next one. Made her home safe, and oh yeah, there was a wind day cancellation, so I, uh, I had two full nights of just driving. Just me in the truck, just driving. Got home, hopped on a plane to Toronto the next day. And yeah, you want to hallucinate uh, without any kind of 
substance assistance just stay up for two nights i was seeing things like <laughs> i was looking at dark spots on the road thinking there were bears coming at me and it was not a good scene uh definitely need to set myself up a little bit better to not have to do that again like i said there was a wind day cancellation and just kind of unique circumstances so i'm going to be a little safer for the next one I got some coals for for the next ones coming up here in the next little while but yeah um ready to get back down there for sure uh, and yeah like i said the the initial shocks out of the system and i think it's uh gonna be gonna be good moving forward but yeah it was a weird deal i got back like i said i had to leave town the second i got back so uh once i got back from that yard sailed all my stuff in the garage and didn't really well still haven't really touched it yet there's got a got a pretty busy existence here and and plenty of things to do so hopefully get into that in the next little bit and get a little bit more organized and fix a few things around the boat but yeah snuck out ice fishing um on saturday i had to go meet uh buddy marcel uh shoot some things for a couple new ice fishing rods that 13 fishing has coming out and yeah i I wish i could talk a little bit more about those because they're unreal um but went up to Lake Winnipeg for the first time. What an absolute ordeal that place is. Um, you know, I, I said to him, I was like, there are more people, you know, that we drove past in the the 15 kilometers we took our snow machines ice fishing than I've seen total. Like everyone I've seen ice fishing my entire life did not add up to as many people <laughs> as were out there. It was unbelievable. Um there was that and then just how big that lake is, how thick the ice is, and how wild those walleyes are. Um, you know, we were pretty focused heavy on filming and didn't really go wild on the fishing part. You kind of just fish to get what you need. It's not uh, it's not all about fishing. It's more about, more about getting the job done on that front. Um, but, I mean, luckily the second one I hooked was the biggest walleye I've ever caught in my entire life through the ice. Um, I didn't get a length or a girth on it. I'm not, I don't go too crazy about that stuff. But when I grabbed that thing, I was like, yep, that's her. Um, it was awesome. Ate a rip and wrap, like <laughs> way deep. Good thing it's barbless in Manitoba. Uh, I was in like 12 feet of water. So it was just a mayhem battle and new rods did the test. And yeah, it was, it was wild. But yeah. In typical ice fishing fashion. Oh, like you'll hear people gripe about breaking things ice fishing it's just kind of the way of the road and i thought i was a little bit over that um i don't go as wild anymore or as hard and i really take care of my stuff and everything like that but yeah i get the trailer bearings all greased up you know check the tire pressure make sure everything's working the lights and all that it's a big run it's like three hours each way for us um you know on a sled trailer so get everything tuned up go to winnipeg whatever mess around for the day go to league of Woods sports all that stuff and uh had dinner like on regent came out and i saw my leaf spring on the trailer was broken uh right in half just dangling in the parking lot so yeah right just just getting dark we're just getting ready to wind down and go to the hotel and everything and nope there i am in a damn danny's parking lot unloading my sled on the hard top and like yard sailing everything out of the truck and we ended up having to put the sled back in the truck and uh thank god for uh two rivers boat works mike Totoli, he was the first call uh anywhere in the region he's got a good operation there, a real good guy uh i'll link his stuff below if you uh are an idiot and bust stuff <laughs> anywhere around winnipeg like i do so thanks mike for uh for getting that tuned up and yeah just typical ice fishing fashion no matter what you do 
it seems uh can't really get away from busting stuff broken plenty of things on the boat too but you know just something about ice fishing it just reaches out and breaks your back any chance you can before we get too deep into it uh, i got to touch on the sponsor front here first uh, i want to remind everyone btfishing.com get in there get you some smeltinators while you can i've been teasing this all year uh, it's looking like conditions are ripe at the Bassmaster Classic uh, down on Tennessee River, Fort Loudon, Teleco. Our boy Gus, he's down there right now. Cooper Gallant, both heavy on the moping scene. You better believe if that smeltinator jig makes it onto the camera at some point over the weekend, you're not going to be able to get them for a while. So check out btfishing.com, load up on them. Uh, we've got a couple of announcements to make on, uh, on new retailers of those soon, but like I said, we can only spin them out so fast, so get your mitts on them because it very well could go down, especially if the weather stays cool like this. Uh, going to be interesting to watch that. Um, and had a ton of questions about the Powerhouse uh, line of batteries. New Lithium Company I'm working with this year. Um, they really have some innovative technology. You know, there's tons of brands out there that all have the 12-volt, 100-amp lithium batteries. Then really none of them are any different. They just slap a sticker on and whatever. They show up in a black box, they slap a red or a blue or whatever sticker on it, and and that's the battery you get. But Powerhouse, they've got uh, they've got their own tech. Um, the guys are really into fishing. Uh, we're gonna get uh, gonna get RJ on here at some point and touch on them a little bit better than I can. But I got that 16 volt battery power in the the graphs on the rig, and uh, you know really like having that the lithium cranking battery this year it's got an emergency start button on it just tech that you don't really see so they're on the uh on the forefront of that um i have a feeling you're gonna really be seeing them up north uh as we go here and you got some of the best live scopers in the world like milligan running the 16 volt battery so it ain't an accident they've been selling tons of them the words kind of out um definitely worth checking out at powerhouse.com like i said we're gonna be touching on that soon here and uh in the next week or two on the show and reminder to check out 13 fish and i talked about the meta series got to put them to work um blasted a bunch on uh on gunnersville on my way down to uh you fall on on the 7.3 medium heavy uh bait caster that's one of those rods that's just beauty for everything but definitely uh withstood the test and was super nice so keep an eye out for those those meta series will be on the on the shelves this spring here new deal that's uh that's coming out you're just seeing it teased in canada uh they've been promoting it in the u.s for a couple of weeks now and there'll be a big classic release about it but it's the vmc red line hooks uh i've been putting all my faith in them this year i took most of the other hooks out of my boat that i've been using for years once you see something you know is quality like she was pretty easy to make the switch uh all high-end stuff um pt coated vanadium steel uh yeah i can tell you all the specs you want as soon as you pick one up and touch it you'll realize what i'm talking about or as soon as a fish goes anywhere near it uh you'll see so the mc redline keep your eyes out for those and shout out to sims um you know down in alabama it was 30 degrees i was hiding in a in a sims shirt and uh the guide pants i really like those a lot then i wheel her back up to canada and it's damn freezing up here minus 20 and uh i pull out that extreme jacket i used to make fun of guys for wearing puffy coats um you know would joke that if they got anywhere near a bonfire their whole jacket would disintegrate and all that and never dreamed i'd be wearing one but that thing is damn comfy and warm so check out the extreme lineup uh from sims if you're uh sick of freezing up here and highly fashionable too i will say myself they got plenty of inventory at uh, lake of the wood sports in uh kenora winnipeg and online at sportsheadquarters.ca 
And a reminder to check out uh, the Dryden Tag Fish Contest. If you're anywhere on the Wabagoon chain or planning on being there at all, this contest applies to winter and summer, but it's a tag fish contest. Check out my YouTube page for a video we did there. Uh, tagged up some walleye, some right close to town. Uh, there's a pile of money swimming around in that lake right now. I think it's upwards of 30 grand. You buy a ticket for 20 bucks. You catch one of the tagged fish. I think there's 23 to 25 at this point. That's a bunch. Um, catch one follow the process and uh you could win anywhere from a thousand to five thousand dollars there has been fish caught by non-tag holders that have had to put them back and not made a damn nickel so definitely want to grab uh one of those tags and grab them at uh, clark's bait and tackle uh qsl or the chamber of commerce in dryden definitely worth a look and even if you don't catch a tagged fish she's damn good fishing around there so worth a peek for sure especially on that crappie front and I got to shout out to Lund Pro V Bass right now. Um, you know, that boat gets a lot of love in videos and videos and all over the place. I haven't talked about it a ton on here lately. Um, man, it got blowing on day one of Eufaula. And uh, it was pretty nice having the only deep V in the, in the whole fleet. There were, you know, three and a half foot waves. And I was just sitting on top. Literally, me and my co-angler were eating. Uh, he brought a little charcuterie board around and... We were just kind of kicked back going 30 miles an hour, eating our charcuterie board and comfy as can be while we're looking over and watching guys break their stuff and break their backs and ra racing the way in. So definitely worth a look. Check out WSL Sport for the Pro-V Bass and any other Lund or other marine needs. And last but not least, reminder about Nordic Point Lodge. Check out nordicpointlodge.com. I talked to Will the other day. He's been bouncing around to sports shows and everything. And, uh, you know, he personally reached out a couple of times and said plenty of listeners uh, of the podcast and, and viewers of the YouTube channel have been booking trips. So that's what we want to see. They've got a, a brand new setup there. They're building a new lodge as we speak. High-end equipment. It's it's going to be a really good place to be. So definitely do yourself a favor. Check that out. And before we bring on Bob here, I got to remind you, if you're a business owner or looking to do a little bit of marketing, um, don't hesitate to reach out. We all know radio is pretty much dead at this point. Don't uh, don't yard sale all your your hard earned marketing dollars there. We might be able to make something work. Try to think back, and if you've ever watched a YouTube video or listened to a podcast and have have bought a product because you trust the person telling you about it, or they can go into a little bit more depth about it. Just something to think about, you know, instead of just kind of the blanket um, radio ad where someone might not actually know about the service or the product or anything like that. Um, seems like this is kind of the new way to go. Definitely the phone's on there, so don't hesitate and to keep the show rocking a little bit longer too. So, all right, I'm going to quit bending your ear. We can't keep Bob Azumi waiting. He's in the powder room right now. We'll, uh, we'll bring him on here and see what's going on. How you doing, Bob? Doing good. How you doing, man? Okay. Hey, don't worry. I go through every one of these with a fine tooth comb. Cause I oh. always drop F bombs and this, that, and the other yeah, thing. I won't and go that. clean it up. I'll, I'll try to keep it very, very family. Well, we've already started, so I just have to go back and cut that out. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll start <Yeah>. again. <laughs> start again. Okay. Well, before you came on, I, you know, I kind of announced you as, uh, well, I didn't kind of, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm your biggest fan, Bob. I'm not going to lie. Um, Saturday morning, uh, real fishing show. That, that was what, what I was all about. Uh, got to go fishing with you in 2014. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was like dream day. So I, I am happy you showed up and you're going to have to excuse me if I'm tripping on my words or fanboying out a little bit. 
But you know, that's funny you say 2014. I didn't realize that's that many years ago, Jamie. I uh the one thing about as you get older, Ted Takasaki told me this once. We were ice fishing on Lake of the Woods, ironically, up in your uh your area years ago. Uh, we were talking about how time goes by fast. And he said to me, and his explanation was this, as you get older, every year is a smaller portion of your entire life, he said. And I said, oh, yeah. yeah. And he says, so every year goes by faster. And, he, and you know, made sense to me. It still makes sense to me because I didn't, I can't believe it's already been that many years since we went crappy fishing. And uh, I would have said it was, you know, seven, eight years ago. But I, you know, well, actually, what was it? How many years ago was it? It was about <laughs> nine, that. Nine, yeah, I'd be around nine. nine yeah. yeah, okay, I would have said about five or six. Yeah, <laughs> the pandemic's really got me messed up with all this COVID and everything for, for those years. I mean, that was like, that was almost like somebody just stopped the clock, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I get that. Well, Ted, Ted's a smart guy. Leave it to a walleye guy to be that technical. Well, you know, he was he he kept trying to get me. I remember the same trip. He kept saying, "Hit your OnStar," and you know, it was back uh, in the early years when OnStar just became available in the GM products. And he said, "Hit your OnStar." And we're in the middle of Lake of the Woods on one of the ice roads. He said, "I want to see what the advisor tells you when you ask for directions, and they see you're in the middle of a lake, and they're in like South Carolina, one of the call centers, right?" And I never did, but uh, he really wanted to do that just to see what the OnStar uh, service or uh, or technical advisor would tell you <laughs> which way to turn. <laughs> yeah, old bully. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So, hey, now, are you fishing all the Bassmaster Opens this year? Yeah. All of them? All of them. All nine. I don't know what I'm getting myself into because I still have a full-time job and I'm the furthest guy away, but... Yeah. So what are you going to do? Is there an official practice period for each of those now? Yeah, you get uh, four and a half days. Okay, so they do close it before that. So mm-hmm. They cut it off for a month, so all those kids that were going down there and camping for a month, that's uh, that's out. Now, what so, was that first tournament you fished when you started the Opens? Uh, Cherokee. That was last year, so I tried to get into one division, and I and didn't. how did you do in that tournament? I got third. Uh, that might be that one of those trophies behind you there. Uh, yeah, it's over there. Yeah, I well, I, when I was watching the, uh, you and Alex, I saw it there, and it reminded me, and I was so happy to see you do very well at that tournament. I mean, that was unbelievable. You'd never been to that lake before, I'm assuming. No. And uh, you figured it out on the fly. And, you know, that's – that says something about both your angling prowess and also the fact that, um, you know, a lot of folks that, that may be watching this, uh, you know, when it when you run this podcast, it's going to tell them a lot about you because these guys in the States, that's all they do is bass fish. You're fishing every species. You only have a short season to fish bass, you know, when the water's open, unless you're ice fishing for them. And uh, to go down there on one of those lakes, especially a lake like Cherokee that, that um you know they're not those fish aren't easy to catch down there no Uh, and they get tons of pressure americans are freaks about their bass fishing they love to bass fish there's you know you go into some regions of the u.s and there's weekday tournaments and evening tournaments and tournaments for seniors and i mean there's bass tournament leagues like there are bowling leagues you know for all walks uh walks of life and 
and you go down there and, and kick some butt. That's pretty good. That's uh, that's awesome. And the fact that you're fishing the whole uh, series now. How many guys are doing all of them? Oh, it's a zoo. It's a, it's 175 boats in all nine, and then 225 in every tournament. 175 individual anglers are doing all nine spots on the elite series. Yeah, there's 80, 89 last year, 45 the year before. And so. how many people qualify for the elites at the end? Uh, how many get the top guys? Nine. Nine. So that's nine out of, okay, so that's. Uh, it's about 6%. Yeah, about 6%. Yeah. <laughs> that's unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, at least, at least there's nine. Like I, um, where did I finish? We already went down to Ufall a couple of weeks ago and I was 104 out of 225. Which so is it's it's sound well yeah you beat 120 people and you're still a triple digit finish but yeah um I I feel like that's on the I feel like you can have maybe one maybe two of those if you mix them with the top ten but yeah I already dug myself a little bit of a hole but well you know I'll tell you one thing if if uh, if any of the uh, the viewers have never fished tournaments they under they um, they wouldn't understand it but I know from a fact that. You know, it's a roller coaster ride, you know, playing that game. You can have some great turns and you can have some real bad ones and you can have some mediocre ones. And even though you outfished more than half of the field in that many boats, you'd say, oh, I had a mediocre tournament. But realistically, you think of how many other people you beat and that's monumental. So it it's tough. And I mean, you know, when you're around folks that don't fish tournaments and you, you know, you say you got 10th place in a tournament, they go, Oh yeah. It doesn't mean anything to them unless you win. Right. Right. And, and so I always get a kick out of that uh, because, you know, winning is so hard. Now, um, did you, did you win one of the big tournaments up there in your region? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've won. I don't want to big dog it. And I don't know how this ended up with you interviewing me, but because I thought <laughs> while I was logging on that I wanted to, I want to hear a little bit about your accent before we get in. I, I got lots of crap I can talk about about me, but you know, as I say, there's two eyes in the zoomy, me and myself. But <laughs> I want to hear about you. So did you win uh Fr- Francis or KBI? Uh won KBI, uh the Bass and for Bucks, the Sunero's one, and then the Bronze Back. Those are the three hundred cool. 120 boat tournaments on Lake of the Woods. So I was I was looking in the background of of when you were talking to Kessler interviewing him, and uh, I, I saw a few trophies there, and I didn't recognize what tournaments they were associated with. And right. a lot of plaques and you know, people's names, you know, I could tell on the uh the background <laughs> there. And I was going, okay, what year and where were they? You know? And, yeah, that was I had to give a lot of those back. Uh I had a really good year and won won four of them up here in one year. Awesome. Um all three of them were with my wife. And uh so I had you get all the big trophies when you win and then you have to give them back. And if you don't win again you don't get them. So right. So all the big thunders. Well, I, I, I guess I got I got to ask since you know we're we're talking here. I, are you with your wife still? Oh yeah. Okay, good. I, just, <laughs> I, I usually am not inappropriate, but this is a podcast. It's not like what I did. No, TV that's a show. reasonable question. I, yeah, I, I, I fish a lot, and and now I'm I'm doing some Bassmaster trails. So that's uh that's a very very reasonable question. Jamie on the TV show because I knew that that 
that you know wouldn't be appropriate but now that we're doing this podcast stuff nowadays a lot of these i feel that you can ask a few personal questions that you might not want to air on national tv this way you just air it to the world whoever wants to find your podcast (laughs) yeah yeah there's far less viewers than there were on the on the real fishing show yeah but you know what whatever you want you never know when this stuff will surface now that it's being uh being out there but no i uh that's pretty amazing so she obviously knows how to catch fish um yeah she's a good partner she actually won one on uh on her own her and and i don't know if you remember brian gustison but her and and his girlfriend took their fished a women's walleye tournament and won it when was that uh, last year there's like okay, so it's, 70 boats or something yeah i was right. i was proud of them she's from down the road from where i am i'm in milton yep. and yep. she's down the road i think uh her her roots are right yeah yeah, yeah. i can't remember the town drumbo or something yeah. she'll be pumped up shout out brie brie will be fired up now oh well yeah i mean i, I met her in brian's store you know yep. in, in uh in your area there i don't know maybe four years ago, I'm thinking five years ago. And, uh, um, it was pretty funny cause you know, we got talking and that, and then I found out she was from, you know, like within an hour where I live and I'm, I was, and then another guy, here's my voice in there. I think it was the same time. And, uh, he's from Mitchell's Bay and he's up there doing some consulting work and he's shopping in Gustafson's store, buying some stuff. And uh, he's a friend of Derek Strobe's. Yeah. Um, and it was so funny uh, to him. He comes out of the aisle and says, Bob, what are you doing here? And I'm like, what are you doing here? I'm up here to tape, but why are you up here? And he, he said, well, I'm working, you know. But, um, yeah, it's a pretty small world, I'll tell you. It's, uh, yeah, it well, you, you draw a pretty big crowd around you here. I, uh, like I said, um, that I remember the day, the date back in 2014 when I went fishing with you. It's not something you forget. Um, but you and I went into Safeway, uh, you wanted some sandwiches or whatever. I was like, okay. And like the amount of people that stopped you was incredible. Like we didn't, I don't know if we passed two, you know, it was every, it was every other person stopped you and, and you had a chat and I remember watching, I was like, okay, this is, yeah. Like you, you spent the time on everyone and, you know, shook everyone's hand, did the, did the intro. And I'm like, this is like. You know, funny thing about it, I'm very used to it, but, and I never knew that was part of doing a TV show because the truth be known, when I started the show in the early two, uh, early 80s, I was going to say early 2000s, in the early 80s, and I did it for 38 years before wrapping it up at the end of 2021, but I only started the TV show to support my tournament fishing addiction. And I've told this story many times, but it was, I, I was fishing tournaments uh, for about three years full-time doing seminars and, um, you know, work for fishing companies and mercury and stuff. And then I thought, well, I'm starving to death. I, I need to do something to, you know, supplement this fishing addiction and tournaments. So started the TV show, but I really had no idea that, you know, people would recognize you from it. I, I honestly didn't even think about it. It was strictly an ends to a means to, to fish tournaments. And it was the reason I did it for decades. And I actually had a plan after a few years of the TV show was I'm going to get out of this in 20 years and go back to what I want to do and just fish tournaments. And I always fish tournaments my whole career. I mean, yeah. I always squeezed in about, I don't know, 13 to say 16 tournaments <laughs> a year, uh, which was never enough. And, uh, 
and you know did the radio show the magazine the tv show and all the uh, projects we were involved in and conservation work and stuff but it was always my addiction and and still is to this day i mean that's why i'm asking you at the first of this talk about your tournament exploits because i find it fascinating i eat drink and sleep tournament fishing and at 64 i still cannot get enough of it i i today uh you know, I got some tackle in, um, well, actually not some, I got a couple of different packages in that I was rifling through and some hard to get lures that I'm stocking up on and some new baits that are just out. And I just can't get enough of the whole, the whole deal. And, uh, talking to a buddy from down Windsor way, and he's a, a stick on Lake St. Clair, uh, earlier today, Eric Hodgins about tournaments down on that way. And, he was telling me about a lure he designed and some of the elite pros are on to it big time. And, and, uh, I should tell you about too. Yeah, you should. It's an underspin, which is good for some of them tournaments you're fishing where the shad are and the, the, you know, the bait fish bites important. Um, Eric's making a really cool underspin. Um, some very notable anglers, um, that I'm sure a lot of your listeners and viewers have heard of. Are pretty freaked out about it and uh it's pretty cool and uh but i don't you'll have to look it up or i'll I'll give you the info after but it's eric hodgins he's got a guide service on on lake st Clair, and he's got a website and and that but uh i don't know if his lure i I think he's got a a e-commerce site there too for his baits but he'd sent me some of those uh today as well i got those very cool looking very unique too but it's the fact that they 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 run true and they're not rolling. And uh, one uh, uh, very renowned Texas pro just smashed them on Rayburn with it, um, like a nine and a bunch of other giants and then a bunch. But that, that's, a, that's a whole different story. But, you know, it's funny how, you know, even at this age and after this many years, I'm always looking for a better mousetrap too. You know, it doesn't matter if it's lures, rods, reels, line, um, you know, electronics, techniques, whatever it is. I'm always trying to better myself because I always feel that that if you don't, you're you're you know three steps forward, two steps back. It's just the the fact that there's so many good anglers in these tournaments, and I'm not a spring chicken anymore. And all the guys I'm competing against are like yourself and younger and older and and that. But not many of them are my age anymore. Most of them are are you know half my age, and uh, it's you know you got to keep up with it. Um, I don't believe there's any magic lures, but I do believe that there's always something that's going to come out that's a little bit of a refinement of something we've already had. You yeah. know, yeah, like A rigs were kind of cutting edge when they came out. They were big. They were already in the saltwater market. You know, with you know bait fish attractors of things coming through the water. But but the A rigs applied to freshwater bass fishing was new and. I remember being at Gunnersville when that thing broke loose and Elias won that tournament. <laughs> yeah. And I remember Scott Martin weighing in and he said, there's two tournaments going on. The yeah. guys with the A-rigs and the rest of us. Oh yeah. Guys were making them out of coat hangers and they were oh. breaking wires on them and they had them down to a couple wires. And yeah, and I, I couldn't get any. I was trying hard before I got, I, I came from another tournament to that tournament. No. Uh, I think it's Kentucky Lake or something. I went straight to that tournament. I couldn't get in. And, and uh, oh, I know. I came from the Everstar Championship and and uh, was hoping to get some. And I think uh, Corey Johnston, he had one of the guys at the Ranger crew, made him one out of wire, I think. 
Chris or Corey? I forget one of them. And they were like leading the Everstart first thing with a homemade <laughs> one. The guy just bent some wire up. He put some swim baits on and it looked sort of like an eight rig. Yeah. Ah, you got to be ahead of the curve. That's uh, I mean, that's a huge one. Like, but like you said, it's, it seems to be a lot of the changes are a lot more subtle now, but any little edge you can find. And yeah, I mean, like you said, you can't just be complacent and kick back and expect to compete. So it's cool to hear you're still, uh, well, you're still on it. And it's, hard, um, it, it, it's like, you know, we all spend way too much on tackling. You know, the running joke is, uh, you know, if I die, my biggest worry in life, if I die, is that my wife sells all my fishing equipment for what I told her I paid for it. <laughs> everybody thinks I'm sponsored by a lot of companies, and I am. I've got great companies, you know, uh, and I've been with a lot of them for, you know, some of them like Mercury here for over 40 years and, and Ranger for over 40, um, uh, Columbia for, for gosh, a couple decades, and, you know, it goes on and on. But I still buy a lot of tackle too. I mean, I just, I'm always, you know, want to keep that leg up, you know, but, but even when I was a kid, Jamie, the weird thing was that I was always buying tackle as a teenager. There would be ads in the fishing magazine where you'd send like $5 uh, in your name and address and they would send you a crankbait, you know, like a, a man's crankbait or a Norman crankbait or whatever happened to be around in the late seventies when I was just a teenager. And I always was into that tackle stuff. And then I remember my dad uh, used to take me to Detroit and we'd go sh tackle shopping some of the cool tackle stores there in the seventies. Um, and, uh, and then getting our first bass boat, me and another buddy from Blenheim on my hometown, we actually went partners on a, a 17 foot Glastron bass boat with an 85 Course, and that was like in 77 and, uh, <laughs> well your dad started the first bass tournament right in canada yeah that kind of really got things uh, thrown for a loop i think i was like around 17 maybe at the time and and uh 15 or 17 i'm not even sure but he ran this first tournament ever in canada and uh it was draw for partner like the Bassmaster invitationals mm -hmm. and uh i drew a guy in a 14 foot aluminum boat with a tiller and it hailed so hard, we had to pull into Rondo Park and one of the canals, go under a picnic table and wait because it was just beating us to death, this big giant hail coming down. And I don't even know if I caught maybe one fish maybe <laughs> in that day. I think I weighed in one largemouth or something and in that. But um, this guy, Gary West, and I had a great time uh, from Windsor. And that, without a doubt, got me hooked into the competitive bass fishing part of it. And from then on, I was just bass, bass, bass. And, and, you know, we fished walleye and pike and all that stuff growing up down there and, you know, throughout my youth and into my adult years and that. But but that bass tournament that he had when I was in my teens changed my life forever. But we still did. And I, I was laughing listening to Kessler talk about this on your, I think it was your original podcast about fishing as a kid. And mm -hmm. our dad used to take us as little kids to Rondo bay in erio at the foot of lake erie and rondo bay where they meet there's a big channel myself the neighborhood kids would pile into the volkswagen nine of us he'd take us there and we'd win everybody win a prize and my brother would win the uh boys championship every year until he got too old and when he turned 16 i think he couldn't fish it but he won it like three years in a row and then then i won it um after he couldn't win it and then my sister lynn and georgie everybody was winning and uh, all the neighborhood kids that rode with us, uh, the farm kids would win. And 
It was so cool. <laughs> you need I a trailer had, for all your loot to haul it behind that so bug head. The and whole all. car was full of prizes. Like, <laughs> they're giving away tackle boxes, rods, reels, cool stuff when you're a kid. And uh, that, without a doubt, got us hooked in fishing because it taught us to fish even like the structure. And he'd say, you know, don't cast way out in the channel. Um, even though you might catch something, cast just close right here to the break wall, fish the pilings, fish the structure. And, and you know, he used to say, and we're just, I was little at the time, like if Wayne would have been 15, I would have been nine years younger when I started doing these. So I was right. just a little, you know, pint sized kid. I'm, yeah. I know you're going to say it too. Not much bigger now because I know how tall you are. But anyway, <laughs> the weird thing is, is, uh, um, you know, he said, you'll never catch a fish if your bait's not in the water. So he constantly was coaching, 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 keeping your bait wet. So your odds were up. And I didn't know it at the time, but those were things that stuck with you throughout your adult years about upping your success and putting the odds in your favor, obviously, by keeping your bait wet. Don't be screwing around. Keep it near areas where the fish are going to be in high percentage areas and all that stuff I did seminars on forever were things I learned as a little tyke and not even knowing it then. And, and uh, you know, fast forward to here I am now, I'm, I'm back to where I want to be. I'm going to fish uh, more tournaments, at least ones I want to fish. I mean, I've had a lot of people say, why don't you try to get on the elites or get back, uh, you know, fishing the, well, it used to be the FLW tour and now it's the MLF thing and that. Yeah. And try to, you know, get into those circuits and qualify. And if you would have said that to me three years ago, I would have said, I'm in. I, I'm going to go fish one of the national professional uh, circuits or try to. Yeah. Um, but it's weird how things change since then. I've got two grandkids in the last year and uh, four months. I got a, a grandson, Tommy, and, and granddaughter from Darren, and one's from Kristen. Um, you know, Tommy's a uh, year and three months old. And it's kind of changed my perspective a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. I still want to cram a pile of tournaments in. Yeah, you probably don't want to leave them all, you know. Well, that and also, you know, when I hear a lot of these young pros that are fishing the elites and that tell me, Bob, the only thing I don't like about my job is being on the road so much. And I'm laughing because I average 300 days a year on the road with the TV show, the tournaments and all the associated appearances and other work I did for 38 years. So... I already did that and I loved it, but now that I'm not on the road a lot as much as I used to be, I'll still probably kick in, I don't know, 160 to 210 days a year on the road, probably <laughs> now. Uh, but I can do as many as I want. There's nobody telling me you have to do this, you have to do that. And and you know, when we were doing the magazine and and the TV and all the different things, radio and all that, you had to be out there doing stuff and I still have to because I'm working for a lot of companies still but yeah. but it's you know limited where I'm doing appearances and sales meetings and some consulting and a lot of real cool things that you know I I did some of which in the last four decades but now I can do more of that and it's more controlled and and that but but the tournament stuff it's I just want to pick the ones that I want to fish. So if there's one on Champlain, it looks good. Uh, maybe a Toyota series. I'll jump into that one if there's room or, or Potomac or Mississippi River or whatever. I'm just going to 
look at all the different open style tournaments as well as you know some of the local circuits here in Ontario and that and and uh, you know put Sturgeon Bay in the mix and all and still cram a lot in but kind of do the ones I know that I'm going to have fun in yeah not do it as a grind because I know what you're doing even though you know you're loving it night I know I'd love it too but but I've been there and you know it is a grind when you're not doing good. I bet yeah. you your drive it's a, home. It's a long drive home. It's, yeah. It's, the last one was 30 hours home with your thoughts. Yeah. Luckily, I didn't sleep at all. I just drove two nights, so I was hallucinating anyway. So I didn't Did have any rational thoughts. Back? Yeah. There was a, I mentioned this earlier, so I don't want to squash it, but there was a, there was a wind day, so it got delayed a day, and I had to fly out of Winnipeg Monday morning. So after I weighed in at six o'clock on Saturday, I just drove for two nights. I got home, sprayed off, sprayed the salt off my boat, and uh, hopped on a flight to to Toronto, and then drove to Hamilton. But I was like, I didn't have time to dwell on my thoughts because my mind was just going. <laughs> it was it was going wild. I was out of control. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember you know driving back from tournaments that. You're spinning like it's 12, funny. 15 hours was probably kind of the norm for you. 18. I, I 18. usually tapped at around 18. If I okay. that's myself. a good hump. Yeah, I do. Like I just come back from Florida on um, last uh, last week. Mm-hmm. Me and a young uh, buddy of mine, uh, Will Coy. I've known him since he's in his teens. He's in his 40s now, but we did a last minute trip. I'd already been to Florida like a month ago, but and I said to my wife, I, I said, oh, I think I'm gonna get some work done because I got boats to rig and and stuff to work on that has some stuff that has been put off for three decades right literally yeah. so i got i gotta finally get my life organized and and that so i said to her i don't think i'll i'll go back to florida i gotta get some work done and then didn't i get back from florida and i wasn't i wasn't even back here a week and i do spring fishing and boat show and some seminars and stuff and and i talked to will and i said hey will what do you think about Florida? And he said, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> his truck and his Ranger, we ran down there. In, uh, we only gone for seven and a half days. We fished four days, got over 500 bass in the pits, got nine holes in Florida Gulf, and then did another 18 on uh, Sunday on the way back in uh, in central Georgia uh, golfing. We both like golf, too. And then and then got back uh, at lunch on the Tuesday. I think we left Monday, and we were home at noon on the following Tuesday. So... Um, wow it was animal it was a great road trip i mean i just you you know took the rust off that i'd accumulated for three weeks of being back here in the north and that but but no it's 18's a good run for anybody but i uh i find that you know those those uh coffee drinks you can get now there's uh uh, Starbucks double and triple energy and there's uh black rifles got an espresso one and I find all those things have been coming in handy on those days where I'm just struggling a bit and I I'm talking about maybe once a month I might have one of those when I right. need it when I'm driving it's like somebody kicks you in the rear end when you drink one of those things I yeah I, I just feel like those things are like if they wake you up for that much, then like you got to pay for it at some point. Right? Well, I don't, I don't think there's anything good in them for you, but I'm sure, I'm sure that the the it's better than driving your truck and boat into the damn ditch. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but, but I'm not really in a big hurry to get anywhere except back away and when I'm fishing a tournament, anyway, right. you know. Um, but but it's uh, it's funny how you know the highs and lows of tournament fishing are so 
hard on your brain because you can be you come off a, a good tournament if you feel like you won a lottery it doesn't matter if you're you know 10th place out of 100 boats or your first you just feel great you know mm -hmm. you come back off a, a mediocre or a bad tournament and it like everything's going through your mind racing of what did i do wrong what should i have done and, and those type of things. And you try to write the ship by at least figuring out what you could have done or learn from whoever won or some of the top 10 finishers, what they did, and then take that with you at least as a learning curve. Because the worst tournaments are, and they don't happen often, but the worst, I'm talking about this part, not, I, I believe me, I've had a lot of work, bad tournaments, but I'm going to tell you the worst tournaments are, the ones you leave and you can't figure out what you did wrong and you still couldn't figure it out after you learned what the winners did, you know? Right. Because you, you were doing something sort of similar to them, but they obviously found the winning fish and you didn't. Right. And uh, those are the tough ones because, you know, you can't, it's hard to grasp how you kind of knew what the patterns were and you thought you were on enough fish to do well and you didn't and you know and i'm not talking about mechanical like if you lose fish and your mechanics are off that's a different story because that's a that's another bummer that i think is tournament anglers we all have and i remember one at wheeler lake in alabama i got 10th in it it was one of the flw uh, um tour opens or whatever they used to call yeah, them yeah i saw yeah. that stat today yeah and and you know I should have won that tournament, but the rods I were using at that time had just come out and they were stiff and fast. Mm -hmm. And I was flipping around these shallow trees and bushes in this Creek and I had it all to myself and I lost probably nine or 10 sizable fish in the three or four days of that tournament. And had I landed um, half of those, I would have won it. If I landed all of those, I would have walked away with it and that. And it's it's uh you know, it was funny, but the the, the rods were just too stiff. And you'd set the hook and I believe a too stiff a rod that's too fast. I you know, some graphite rods are amazing. Other graphite rods at least over the years are too fast where you set the hook and they bend and they do this. So it's almost like a bend like this real quick. And I think they're like an elastic band where they spring back a second and it's almost like shoots the hook out. So you, you, you set the hook, but if it's not penetrated past the barb, it almost fires it back out again with that tension off, just like a bow and arrow string. Right. Right. And right. Uh, um, th th those rods were just too fast for the application and they were new and they were expensive. And I thought they'd be the, the cat's meow for, for what I was doing, flipping and pitching, but that, particular rod was not good in in that day and that you know quite a few years back but but uh you know when i found one that was more applicable for the way i like to flip and pitch and how i set the hook and everybody's different with this but i i finally found one that had a soft tip and when you set the hook it would always stay loaded so even if the fish wasn't hooked really good as long as you kept pressure on that fish just like a crankbait rod except this was a flipping rod it kept that hook point in the fish right yeah, and, you know, as long as you kept pressure and kept that fish coming in, you could, you know, either net it or 
or swing it in the boat or whatever the rules were in the, the tournament or whatever you wanted to do it, if that was a, an open deal where you could use a net. But I guess you're now, how's your fish landing without a net? Do you like that? Uh, well, that's where my boat has actually been a big advantage. Uh, I've got the big Lund um, and it's pedestal seat. So I have that whole area in the middle. Yeah. And that, so that helps, but what really helps. And when, when I was grabbing spotted bass and smallmouth. Uh, I mean, large mouth a couple of weeks ago or no problem. They just come up and pretty much die and you grab them by the lip and that's it. But the small mouth and the spots that are going wild, uh, the boat's got a flat side. So I just pin it into the boat and then just take the other hand and go around and wrap it. And that's, you know, I'm sure I'm going to lose a few, but um, it's, I'm like, okay, this is a, this is an actual advantage at grabbing them. It's, so it's been, it's been good. I haven't lost any. I know there's going to be somewhere I touch and lose at some point. Um, but yeah, for now I haven't, uh, haven't lost any landing them. Yeah, you're right. Because unlike a lot of the glass bass boats that go like this, it's, it's pretty, you know, vertical, isn't it? Yeah. I'm watching these guys like in their glass boats too. They have to get down and sit in the seat to land them. And if they go a little bit behind them or a little bit in front of them, that's it. I'm running around on the dance floor and then I got a damn piece of plywood to pin them to almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so. pretty interesting. Yeah, I never never thought of that because isn't it amazing how, you know, bass, when you cup them under the belly, it sedates them as long as, you know, the pressure is, is you know, on your hand as a, you know, it's hard to, you know, vertical if you're holding them like that. They're slippery and it's hard to belly hold them if they're vertical. But but when, you know, they're they're sideways like this, how you can come... I, I watch a lot of, you know, the live, uh, you know, Bassmaster and MLF as I think a lot of us tournament fanatics yeah. do. And you see these guys, you know, cupping the bass and, you know, you always go that jerk bait or that crankbait hanging out of his face. If that fish just, you know, quickly uh, twitches, they're going to get hooked, you know. And I haven't seen many guys get hooked on cameras, many as I thought I would, you know. Yeah, oh, there's been some bad ones. KVD got a, a real bad one on a on a big like a 10 XD crankbait a few years ago. I remember watching that. Did he pull I remember a couple on gun? Uh, yeah, another boat. One of his follower boats came and yanked it out. There's another one on Gunnersville where the guy had to fish all day. But yeah, not a ton for how many you get down and grab. Yeah, yeah, it's it's but pretty interesting. Now, if it's a big one, it's worth it. I'll take the hook in the hand. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I've been hooked everywhere and over the years. Uh, um, and you know, usually if it's filming, I just grab pliers and just yank as hard as I can out because I don't want anybody to think I'm wussy or anything. But, uh, <laughs> I guess, but I, but but I will say uh, I remember the Duck Mountains out in Manitoba. We were trout fishing filming years ago. This little hook, you know, tiny little trout hook, was swinging in the wind and, and gets me right inside the ear. I mean, right inside, and I couldn't yeah. get the pliers out. So I went to the uh, local hospital and. Uh, and uh, they just froze it and just got it out of there real quick. But uh, it was pretty funny. Couldn't really get at it too easy. Uh, but um, yeah, it's uh, it you know, and it, it, for all these folks that f say fish feel pain, I don't know if they do because you. How many times have you been hooked past a barb before? Uh, usually about two or three times a year. Okay, <laughs> it's pretty bad. I'm getting good at the breed. Well, trick. The oh, I've been hooked that. I, I, I probably have. Maybe that's a little much, but once or twice a year for sure. Yeah, I, I maybe at six or eight, I just pass the bar. But, um, you know, you you pull them out, 
you know, whether you use the line method and the, the sort of pressure against the shank or mm -hmm. pliers or whatever, or push them through, it doesn't hurt really. Like if it's just in the, the skin and the meat, you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't really hurt. And so I don't know. A lot of the antis talk about how fish feel pain and that. I don't know if, if we don't really feel it just when it's in our skin, how are they going to feel what's in the skin of their mouth too? You know what I mean? I, I don't know, you know? And so, <laughs> yeah, I try not to think about it. I'm a little bit soft. So if I start thinking about that hook through the, fa the face, I might have to hang them up. Yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I just plead ignorance on that one. So I, yeah, no pain. I'll go with that. <laughs> I, I don't think they feel, feel pain in that because, uh, well, you heard yeah. it here, folks, Bob Azumi fish don't feel pain. Well, just yeah. We'll just yeah. put that one to bed right now. Especially when we're not catching them. They don't feel any pain. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, I was, uh, I mentioned, I was going back through your stats a little bit today. Always do a little bit of research on whoever's coming on. And I mean, there's tons, tons about you out there, but I was interested in your tournament stats. Cause I had known, you know, back when Gussie did, uh, the FLW tour opens, I saw you'd made a cut in Florida and I was like, Oh, Bob Zumi's fishing these. Um, but I looked and I didn't realize that you uh you did the full tour in 2003. Like you went for it. Yeah, that's actually a good good uh point to bring up. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you something about between the ears, okay? Yeah. This has never been discussed ever in a podcast, in an article, or anything. Okay. I like it. That was a tough year with the production company, right? With the uh, with the TV series and that we we were, you know, we still had a lot of sponsors and that, but we were heavily staffed, right? Back in yep. those days, I mean, we had as many as eighteen full time staff in the heyday for the fishing business, which is pretty oh. heavy for a Canadian company. I mean, companies like the In Fisherman uh, had big staffs in the heyday, and and actually that's another story. Al helped me get involved in the business full time back in the very early 80s. Uh, but but anyway, um, I said, you know, I'm going to go fish that FLW tour. And I shouldn't have. And and here's where it gets in your head and it's bad, bad mojo, bad momentum. Yeah. We were struggling that year. Financially, the company wasn't doing that good that year. And it mm -hmm. wasn't a year, it was a year I shouldn't have left. I should have stayed and worked. In, in that instead of taking off, you know, every month for the first, you know, six months or eight months or whatever to go fish some tournaments or whatever, yeah. I should have been working more. And I still did all the stuff I had to do, which, you know, was, was crazy back then. Cause you know, with seminars and, and TV productions and magazine articles and on and on. I mean, it was a crazy busy year, but I went off and said, I'm fishing amazing. So the first tournament's Okeechobee. I was in the garage and it's not heated and I was getting stuff ready um, the day before I left, right? And I worked till, um, I don't know, like one or two in the morning getting stuff ready. Yeah. When, I can't remember when I left the house to go down there to practice, but I hooked up the boat and truck middle of winter, January. And I drove nonstop to Okeechobee. And I got in, I remember getting into Roland Martin's, uh, you know, resort there at two in the morning. Um, and I, I uh, you know, completely exhausted. Hadn't slept 
for a little bit, I slept at home, but I it was so busy. It was like a fire drill trying to get all that junk together. Right. For yeah. You were two moment. nights with no sleep then really. Yeah. And you know, you know, getting ready for a tournament, you don't leave it for one day to do. No, and I was out in that garage for like 12, 14 hours trying to find stuff that was applicable for Florida largemouth, not for walleye, lake trout, musky, pike, fly fishing, trolling, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, and there was no overnight shipping back then either. Yeah, so like, you're bringing the farm. All that stuff is in piles in the garage, and I'm trying to find, you know, worms and flipping baits and lipless baits and thing, top waters, things that would be, you know, applied to Okeechobee for largemouth in a weedy lake. And so I get down there. And I found a few fish here and there practicing, um, practiced for quite a few days. And I lost a lot of fish in that tournament. And the last day, um, I, I forget what place I got, but I know I wasn't that far out of the money in that tournament. Mm -hmm. um, and back then, you know, the last check was a big check, right? Yeah. You know, several thousand dollars. I didn't get that check, but the last day in that tournament, I got on a spinnerbait bite in this little bay back around the hyacinths and pads and stuff, and I lost like five big fish in a row back there on a spinnerbait. Two jump off, two pull off, one you know, uh, you know, just pulls off right below the boat. I mean, five good fish that would have just put me way up the standings. Not you know, I would say. I would say in the 20s, probably like 20 some odd place instead of like 50th or whatever I got. And yeah. so, or, I, or 60th or whatever. I didn't get a check. I um, I left that tournament really pissed. You know, I was mad because I, I knew I knew that I could have easily cashed a nice check had I landed some of those fish the last day. Anyway it just snowballed the rest of that season. It was one of the, it was the worst tournament season I've ever had in my entire career. Um, was my head into it? Not a bit. I was down there feeling guilty that I should be back working in the, the fishing business. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's a lot to be said about, you know, when you go fishing tournaments is to clear everything up here, if you can, and focus at the task on hand. And, you know, when I look at, you know, Chris and Corey Johnston, um, Gussie and Cooper, they're all young guys who are very focused on tournament fishing and mm -hmm. from, you know, different backgrounds, different means, but, but still have a common thread of focus on tournament fishing uh, all different times of their lives for the most part. I mean, Cooper, um, you know, he's just a single guy living the dream and he's a fish head, you know, that's all he does, right? And he's good. So I looked at it, um, you know, I, I look at it now and I say, yeah, I shouldn't have been fishing it. But that momentum carried throughout that season. I didn't cash mm -hmm. a check that whole season. And I still laugh about it because I, I know why I didn't. I, I didn't feel like I should have been at any of them. Yeah. There I was. And that first one, the momentum I should have carried in cashing a check instead of not cashing a check carried that mojo carried right through whereas if i would have cashed a check i think my mind would have been a little better yeah. but you know it, it is what it is and hey there's no excuses but i will tell you tournament fishing is as much between your ears as it is mechanics and decisions and you know it's it's those three things that are important and if they're all clicking and banging on all cylinders you can be good in tournaments 
But if one of those things is missing, chances are you're not going to have that good of a tournament, whether it's mechanics, losing fish, your mind is elsewhere or or, um, you know, it's just uh, your decision making is is lacking, you know, and and, you know, that I've always been a gambler in tournaments for the most part. Mm -hmm. I've played it safe in a few, but I I figure I've won like about 80 some odd tournaments. (laughs) The other day I was adding up and, you know, well over a million dollars in prize winnings. And I've never fished full time except in the early 80s before a TV show for three years. But I didn't fish a lot of big ones. I didn't have enough money to fish them, right? Right. So that's just part time tournament fishing. But but, you know, all the boats I've won, I think it's in seven bass boats and a Chevy truck and all kinds of stuff and, and cash and this and that. But, you know, I always tell people, you know, win a million, I only spent 999000 to it. No, <laughs> not that much. But, but it was crazy how, um, you know, tournament fishing is is a funny, funny game that we all like to play, uh, like you and I anyway, is... I remember drawing uh, an NHL player, uh, Brian Marshman. And unfortunately, he just passed away uh, last year. Uh, Brian was a, um, a business partner of my brother's in a business and also, uh, you know, a, a good acquaintance of myself. I golfed and fished with him over the years. And, and I remember drawing him at one of the Canadian Opens on Lake Erie years ago. Yeah. And he was in the prime of his NHL playing career at the time. And but he liked tournament fishing. He was from down Belleville area, and he he was a tournament fanatic back then, quite a few years ago. And we were having a rough day, and finally we got into school of smallmouth, and it was one after another, and it was like thirty or forty quick fish. And he's shaking as he's unhooking a fish and culling in the back. And I said, "Oh, you like this?" eh? And he goes, "Oh, I love it," you know. And he's just taking it all in, and just like a lot of us do, and the emotions are running when you're catching. We got shooting the breeze that day, and he said, you know, I'm going to tell you something about tournament fishing. And, and, and it's a funny analogy from an NHL professional, right, a veteran, you know, and that played the game. He said, it's as grueling, if not more grueling in his mind, than playing professional hockey. And I said, oh, come on. I said, you guys are in shape. He wouldn't even drink orange juice because there was too much sugar in it, right? Back then. I remember being in, uh, having breakfast with him once and he wouldn't touch orange juice. And then I've seen, since seen that in other NHL players I fish with too, that they won't, you know, touch things that, that aren't good for them. At least, uh, you know, the guys that watch what they do and work out diligently and that. So anyway, he said, we've got trainers. we got People look after our diets. We take a nap before the game if we want. Uh, we do practices that are this long. We play the game, which is this long. For the rest of the time, you know, it's our time, and we got specialists for everything, right? I said, yeah. And he goes, okay, tournament anglers, you guys get up at like 3.30 or 4 or 4.30 or 5 in the morning, whatever. You're on the water for you know, hours on end, you're standing all day, you don't keep yourself hydrated much, you don't eat anything for the most part, or maybe a half a sandwich or whatever, you know, some guys eat more, some guys eat nothing. Um, This outdoor content has been brought to you in part by Nordic Point Lodge. Located in Northwestern Ontario, Nordic Point Lodge offers some of the finest fishing Canada has to offer. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a corporate retreat, Nordic Point Lodge has you covered. They offer a luxury outdoor experience with five-star service. Check out the description below for more information. And 
sometimes you're out there working on your tackle and boat till 9, 10, 11 at night. And then you do this again and again and again for a multi-day tournament. He said, it's nothing like that in professional hockey, even though it's grueling when you're practicing and when you're working out and when you're playing, um, you know, or practicing, yeah, working, playing, whatever. Those are grueling because, you know, you're, you're using every muscle in your body and you're working up a sweat and you're, you're grinding. But he said, you guys are just doing, you know, this constant sort of grind from when you wake up till you go to bed. And I never thought of it that way. And I'm not suggesting, uh, I always tell people, you know, Columbia, I was once on their website listed under athletes, right? And, <laughs> nice. uh, and I've, I've since fixed that. So I've told people the truth. It's all natural. I don't work out. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> so this, this thing <laughs> is natural. It's not, you know, I didn't, I didn't plan it. Okay. Um, or work on it other than uh, maybe way too many drive throughs So he put it in perspective from his uh, way of looking at it, which I always thought that was a kind of a funny story. Hearing Dustin from- Bufflin said the same thing. Did he really? Yeah, yeah, on the podcast. But he he's he'd sweeten the deal with his because he'd wear a fifty pound weighted vest when he's out fishing. But come um, on, yeah, I fished a couple tournaments with him, and yeah, he's he says after he's like, it's a you know, it's exhausting, like. It's so. not funny. Eh? So, so he reiterated so, similar sort of story, but yep. 50 pound weight. So if I put on, well, okay, let's say, let's say, okay, so I'm overweight now. So I'm going to take that overweight I'm wearing as a workout. Okay. That's it. That's, <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. Whatever you got to pull up the BMI and whatever you're over the BMI is how no, much, no, no. How much you're lifting I don't that, like day. that because there's obese, overweight, normal, right? Yeah. And I'm really on the border of obese and overweight right in there. And I'm not going to tell you what side of that teeter-totter I'm on, but it's not pretty. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm just like, I'm just like Bufflin. I've got something strapped onto me all the time. Unfortunately, <laughs> I can't remove it as easy as a 50-pound vest. <laughs> yeah. Well, that BMI is not fair either because when you're tall, I could have the same boiler as, as anyone and they, they could be labeled as obese. And all I do is take that boiler and lift it another foot off the ground. And you're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, you know what, though? That's that's interesting that Bufflin said that because I, you know, I, I thought of it over the years. And, and every time, you know, I'd meet, you know, different hockey players and, and athletes that like to fish, I always try to compare, you know, what we do in tournaments to what they do and that. But, you know, I mean, those guys, you know, and they're all different too. Some of them take it pretty far on what they eat and, and uh, what they, uh, you know, what they do for workouts and stuff. And then others are, I mean, I look at professional golfers and, you know, you see the John Daly's of the world and then you see, you know, the, the guys that are very buffed and, you know, you see two different complete animals there. Right. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it'd be like taking like a Brandon Palinuk and like a Jonathan Taves. Yeah. Like, two guys at the top of their game like they're both working as hard as they can possibly work already so yeah to stay one's harder than the other is not you know is not even possible at that point but i i, I will say though in 95 um i won uh the angler of the year for the gm pro bass tour i won the classic that year which was a, a chevy truck and a ranger boat and then i won the canadian open that year which was <laughs> uh or not chevy but a ranger and then yeah. 
And then the year before and the year after, I won the Canadian Open. So I won like three Rangers three years in a row for those three Canadian Opens. But during that 95, I grabbed a, a racing bike, a road bike, and I put on a ton of miles. Um, when I say a ton, not really that many, but enough that I felt really good. Got down in fighting weight into that normal weight and mm -hmm. not even overweight for change or the other obese hey, hey, <laughs> they use it in those things too right there's another level though there's morbid obese so i think as oh, long as you stay away from that one you're that's good. not one but but i don't like that obese word because i know <laughs> what that is because i know that category well so anyway got down to like 169 i think or whatever that year in my weight and hadn't been that way for for you know probably 15 years or 20 years whatever and I want to want everything I could in the Ontario uh, tournaments down in this part of the world, right? Yeah, For the, the biggest tour, we had the GM Pro Bass Tour. And my mind, my body, um, everything was clicking that year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the family was young, uh, you know, um, you know, they were just little kids then and that. But I just, uh, I don't know, I just, everything was working well and, and uh, it, it, there's truth to be said about you know trying to keep your mind and body in in good shape for these tournaments because they are grueling and and you know if you get tired and make mistakes just like any sport there is out there that's when you could potentially not make uh the right move and and uh and falter and in in our world it costs you money you know in placings and uh you know it's it's a fine line in bass tournaments with ounces, um, you know, can make or break you, whether you're, you're making enough to pay for your trip and have a few bucks to spend or, or, or coming back with zero. And it was a lot of money out of your own pocket to fish that week. Right. Yeah. No, you get like a butterfly effect. Like you said, if you would have been a couple of ounces on the other side of that first, that or other side of that cut line at that first derby in Florida, it could have totally flopped the whole season. Well, that's my excuse that I'm sticking with it, James. That, <laughs> well, you don't need excuses. You, you're a Canadian that went down in 2003. Um, yeah. But like, you what are you what? waiting for, a, like, a magazine to come out to learn yeah. about these lakes? Like, it just – it's it was a near impossible task, and I feel you like know, every you, one, Every you, one of them I went to, I think, was the first time I'd been to any of those lakes in my life, and I w didn't do any research. That's the other thing. I didn't do any research for any of them. You know, and I don't think the internet was happening then. So it was just like, I know it wasn't. So it was just, I went down there completely blind on all of them. And I wasn't, you know, the funny thing is, is, you know, everybody that knows the TV show or any of the media stuff I do, they see me, you know, happy-go-lucky, like to laugh, have fun. But truth be known, I'm a bit of a loner. And so that year in those tournaments, and even to this day, I don't really... Uh, go to the tournaments, um, you know, I should socialize more. I am now that I, I finally got some time to breathe. But for many years, I'd go to just compete in them. And, you know, um, and so I wasn't networking any. Mm -hmm. And networking is really important nowadays. If you don't have either a network of people or you don't research online uh, for some of these events, especially on lakes you've never been to, rivers or reservoirs or whatever you're going to, um like the knowledge is out there at least to learn the basics of what you need to know and then you've got to put the puzzle together when you get there but 
I didn't do any of that in those early years. And I, I tried to just be a loner, um, being a Canadian down there. And I was, you know, the only Canadian in those early years in the early 2000s yeah. on that trail. And I didn't know many of the guys. I knew a handful of the pros, you know, like Nixon and, and uh, some of those guys, but not, not to the point where I was comparing notes with any of them. I just sort of did my own thing, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah you know, it, it, I think in life, you know, you kind of, you kind of got to do what you want to do and uh, you know, you hope it's the right thing. And if you don't make a few mistakes here and there or, or have some bad things, you'll never understand what a winner is, you know? And I tell people that, you know, um, it makes winning so much more sweeter when you have experienced those bad events, you know, I am, um, I don't like yeah. thinking about those bad events very often. I always like to think of the good ones, but, but every now and then I, I go back in time and, and, you know, try to analyze some of those events as years go by to see what I could have did differently, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you must've been like the first, one of the first Canadians to go down and try it. Right. Like back then. Yeah, well, you know, um, Charles for Sims, maybe circuit, for that circuit, the FLW tour um, in those days. Yeah. But, but even in the, like in the early eighties, uh, my brother and I did a couple Bassmaster invitationals and here's another one. I, I remember going down in 80, early eighties before I had TV show down to, uh, um, Kissimmee. So mm-hmm. we go to Kissimmee and uh, my brother, um, his wife and I drove down and I'll never forget, uh, we get down there and uh, she was pregnant with Mariko at the time and Wayne forgot her suitcase in the foyer of their house there, the front foyer. <laughs> we get down there and so we didn't want to take her shopping because we had to get out practicing really quick. And so we ended up... Uh, what did we do now? We, uh, down there. Oh, I know she, uh, she was pregnant. So she needed underwear that were a little big around the waist. So I loaned her some of my underwear that I had in my suitcase <laughs> for a few. And she, you know, bless her. She was a real trooper. She still is Jay. And so she practiced with us all three days and everything. And, uh, and, and before the tournament, and, uh, you know, we finally got her to like a store or Walmart or somewhere so she could get some clothes. She ever mad at Wayne when we got to Florida, though, and he went to go get her suitcase and it wasn't there in the truck. Oh, oh I could see it now. Yeah. Any yeah. any situation like that. I bet you, for, you remembered your tackle or I bet you yeah. remembered your rods. Yeah, but Jay, Jay's a pretty good person. She She's, she's uh, you know, she's been on this program a long time around the fishing world. So. But anyway, that tournament, there's a case in point where it's a draw for partner. The in- invitation was that when you drew somebody, you could draw somebody from California or New York or whatever. So yeah. the last day of that tour, I was sitting really good. I was both sitting, pros though, right? Like yeah. Was pro yeah. So and you pro. Share the front of the boat or one fish the back, one fish the front. And if you decided you could switch around and they could run your trolling motor, right? Mm-hmm. Weird. So I was young in my twenties and, and, uh, and I was doing really good the first two days. I got on a pattern there where I was fishing the canal that goes out of uh, out of Toho and it goes down towards Kissimmee. I was fishing on the other side of the lock. And every time the lock would open, even though I was a few hundred yards down along the grass line along the straight part of the canal, I'd flip my worm into the grass. And, you know, with boat traffic going by and maybe the current coming out of the lock, whatever, even the boat traffic, get the, the water move and get the oxygen going. 
that would turn those fish on. They were so used to boat traffic and that. So I remember Basil Bacon, he was a pro from Missouri I knew, and he saw me and I told him about my pattern the first day. And then the second day he was locking through and I was already fishing. And he roars his motor as he goes by me and slows down, speeds up, slows down. Speeds up. So <laughs> big wake, and that helped actually, right? I didn't get any bit bites right then, but he was laughing and waving because he knew it was it was the bite was influenced by boat traffic because you know uh, some of those uh, warm water places they need you know the water stirred up get the oxygen going, which is you know bizarre because most lakes that would spook the fish. But the last yeah. day I drew a Florida guide. This guy guided for a living, mostly shiner fishing, but did a little artificial fishing. Yeah. And he was bullheaded. And of course, I'm in my 20s and I'm I'm sitting really good. After two days, I'm I'm in the uh I'm guessing like it paid 40 40 some odd place or 40 places. And I'm guessing I was in the low 20s mm-hmm. right then after two days, limited yeah. day. And he doesn't want to lock through, he wants to fish on toho we run all over the place and fish all those spots where you shine or fish and we don't get them fish we don't get one bass one keeper finally the last hour and a half i or hour hour and a half i said hey i gotta lock through and just try my water for a bit you know and he finally agreed because you know he was he was a guy that made a living guiding so you you know i i did trust him but yeah. it didn't work out that's fine but I get there and I catch one fish and then it's time to lock back through because I couldn't fish long. I only had about 20 minutes to fish because the problem is, is you got to get through the locks when you can get through the locks, right? Caught one, but to this day, I know that I pretty sure I could have caught a limit if I spent my day on that side of the locks, flipping a worm on there, a little black worm, but yeah, still with basil bacon. Yeah, yeah. Well, Basil would have run by me twice, probably going down to Kissimmee back. So sounds like a good guy to go for breakfast with. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, he he was actually one of the original PR guys for Ranger Boats, uh, and also a pro. He he won a few Bassmaster tournaments, and and uh, he was like in that crowd with Roland and Houston right. and all that crowd. But um, he was actually the pioneer of the flipping deck. He was the one that first came up with. <laughs> a higher deck in the bow of bass boats and a lower gunnel. You know, the gunnels used to be like about this high on a standard uh, Ranger. And then yeah, the big rail too. Yeah. That was him that designed all that. He actually made a flipping deck that folded like in, it was a portable deck, but they outlawed it on the circuit after, uh, after a year because they thought it was an unfair advantage. If one guy was standing, you know, a foot and a half or, or <laughs> almost two feet higher than the other guys. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, he had designed that Roland had one and stuff, but um, yeah. So even that tournament there though, you know, it was momentum again. It was like, I would have just loved to come out of that, you know, first invitation I fished in Florida with a check, but you know, woe was me. I, I I ended up uh, not catching them, and and that was that. But you know, it's um, it's funny these these tournaments. You know, U.S. and Canada. Let me ask you a question: Do you find U.S. waters more challenging than Canadian waters to fish? Uh, yeah, but like the thing is, there there's way more bass. Right. Here, they're just easier to catch. Is kind of the the general conclusion that I've come to. Like um, you're talking, so these reservoirs that you've been to or some of the lakes, 
you think the population is more just because they're just fish factories. At- yeah, like Lake Hartwell, I was there in the fall for a, a Bassmaster tournament and there were 40 to 60 bass on every cane pile. And there was a cane pile or two on every point and every turn and every piece of structure, just a long flat bank. Like there were more bass there than any anywhere I've ever seen, you know, in my entire life. Exactly. But you'd catch one out of a school of 40 and then they just like would dissipate. But yeah, I mean, I, I've found it challenging. Just like, and you fished around here, fishing around here is totally different than fishing around where you're at. There's a, there's a ton of rock. There's unlimited structure. It's just a totally different game. It, it is. And, and, you know, it, it's, I always used to love coming up that Kenora Bass International uh, Tournament. It, it was so much fun. I mean, I, I remember having so much fun up there and getting a few top 10 finishes, but not, not never winning it. But I, uh, I certainly had a lot of, a lot of fun up there. But one thing I've noticed though, like, like, you know, you take your area up there, the population is pretty fragile, even though bass aren't the target fish for a lot of yep. tourists and visiting or even local anglers. They probably prefer, you know, walleyes, number one. And then if they're hardcore musky guys, that's what they target and, you know, so on and so forth and, and that. But I'm sure there's not a lot of bass anglers in your part of the world that are non-tournament anglers. Most of them fish a few tournaments. Yeah, too. yeah. No, you're exactly right. Um, but, but fragile, I mean, I remember year to year being so different at that Kenora Lake of the Woods tournament. Yeah. You know, one year it'd be out West, the largemouth would be uh, dominating. And then, you know, it'd be in that midsection of the lake for smallmouth and, and up around Kenora for smallmouth. And, and yeah, um, it's still like that. You never know where it's going to be one. It can, it can be one in any arm. Well, I, I remember seeing Kessler there, you know, and I always knew him as a walleye guy, but I knew he was really getting good at bass fishing. And, and you know, it was funny because one of them in the boat would be fishing uh, uh, a spook, like a topwater bait, and the other yeah. would be, you know, just dragging a bait back at the at the uh, transom, you know? Yeah. And talk about, you know, playing the odds, you know, one's going for a big uh, topwater hit and the other guy's just mopping up the area with, uh, with a bottom bait, you know? Um, and, yeah. uh, he had a he good had, track record. Yeah. He had a good, he had good game plans, him and Ted Stooner. It's funny. I was reflecting a little bit today. Sorry to cut off your story, but, um, on the Tennessee river where the Bassmaster classic is right now, I'd say there's a, a one in three chance that it's going to be one on that vertical moping technique. Um, and, and that was really, you know, I know the lenders had a hand in it too, but, uh, Kessler and Ted Stooner are, you know, in this area, they've won more money on it than anyone. They refined it better than anyone. Uh, you know, Ted figured out that allows tech and Alex too. And that, I mean, it's crazy. Cause it's like I said, the Bassmaster classic could go down on something. A couple, a couple tiller guys figured out on Lake of the woods, 25 that's years so ago yeah you mentioned stooner and that's that's who he fished with I, I i now you say that i remember that and of course ted is a, a a crazy good angler as well and you know and then you take goozy in the mix there and that whole crowd of uh guys are such good anglers and multi-species anglers and and uh, you're right i mean and stooner i haven't talked to him lately but pre-pandemic i remember running into him down sturgeon bay and 
he was doing real well down in uh where is it arizona fishing bass tournaments yeah he was doing well there and i talked to him on my way back from alabama he's down on sam rayburn all winter catching their asses there oh he's doing well there good for <laughs> yeah. him yeah he just hops around and they were calling him tiller ted on havasu he's taking everyone's money and he was beating him in pretty good yeah some of the big pros were fishing in some of those opens that he was at and and mm -hmm. uh, I know he was kicking some butt down there and, and doing yep. real well. And I was laughing because, you know, to fit, is he still running a tiller? Or is no, he he's he, like, he adapts better than anyone. He's up, he's live scoping. He's on the deck of a ranger. Um, he's all over, you know, he's calling me a couple of years ago about wire size on, on the scope and, and about this and that. And I was bugging him because the first time I saw him standing up in a boat, I asked him if a bee bit him in the ass because every other time he was sitting back at his graph. But no, he's up there. He's on two wheels. That's funny. Well, I know he retired a few years back and uh, I imagine he's enjoying this retirement life. So good for him. And, um, and now uh, Kessler's retired as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he's been retired for a few years and, and they still win both of them still win tournaments yeah because i did a seminar with, with alex there in uh um winnipeg when i was out there for the boat show a number of years ago and i we got to catch up on the good old days and, and everything and it was really a lot of fun uh spending time with him and uh i think it was him and his daughter were doing a seminar too there That's... yeah amanda she's a really good angler yeah, she's, yeah. she actually won a couple tournaments last year too her oh did and, she? Uh, her and her husband are hardcore yeah you see them they got the same boat as me. They've got a couple twins, and the twins are sitting in the back, and they're they're hardcore. Oh, that's the, the legacy lives. <laughs> you know that's that's the irony. If you take your region and you take you know throw some of them Tobins in the mix there from Manitoba, there you take you take all these people we're talking about, and and then there's a handful of other great anglers up there, like a, a couple armfuls actually. Of, I think what what has happened is because you guys fish so many different species and in so much different types of water you know you got sand you got rock you got you know bluffs you got boulders you got weeds you've got everything up there shallow deep in between it's produced so many good anglers and i've told people down here in southern ontario that for for literally 30 plus years that that you know there's so many good natural anglers from your region because of the fact that you guys are so hardcore and you've got structure type lakes that you can do it all and you know like down here it's funny but you know we've got a lot of different water in southern mm -hmm. ontario from st Clair, which is a big bowl to erie to simcoe to the thousand islands to all the back lakes and the northern lakes but there's so much good water in each little region that some people don't move around much. So right. they're just really good at St. Clair or Erie or, or, you know, Nipissing or wherever it might be. And, you know, there's good anglers that can fish all those types of waters too. But then there's also specialists that are just good in certain types of water. Whereas in your area, it seems like everybody's gotten good at catching fish, you know, with a variety of techniques, both shallow and deep up your area, which I, I found there's more versatile anglers up your way than there is here, even though we got some, some great anglers. I, I just think that the, the fact that you guys, you know, are fishing a lot of species and a lot of water that's so widely different, you know, clear water, colored water, um, 
Yeah, it's just crazy. I I always wondered how walleye guys like Kessler and and you know Goosey and Stuner and all those guys could be adapt to bass so quick, but they did. You know? Yeah, they yeah, did. yeah. In the heyday, they they switched over, and it wasn't wasn't that hard for them, even though completely different game uh, they're going after, and and you know different water columns they're fishing. I mean, you certainly don't use topwater lures for walleye, but. But they mixed it into their uh, their menu, you know. Yeah. Oh, you're good on your graphs. You're good on your graphs. Doesn't matter if it's a trail. That's what I tell people about ice fishing. They're like, well, how 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 could you even dream at competing with you know someone who's on a boat twelve months out of the year? And it's like, well, you're you might be sitting in an ice shack in the winter, staring at your staring at your graph or your forward facing sonar, but you get to see things when you're just sitting there without a moving boat that. Um, yeah you know, untrained eyes might not pick up on, or you get to, you get that one-on-one interaction with a fish more than you would in a boat. So even though they're different species, you still, you can see how they react and, and learn a couple tricks and methods and drop speed and things like that. That's what I tell myself to make me feel better anyway, before I, know, I get my I, ass kicked. You're bang <laughs> on. It, it's so true. It's in nowadays, you know, with, you know, forward facing sonar and, uh, and, you know, 360 and downscan everything that we've got available to us as tournament anglers or just recreational fishermen too um you know electronics are such an important role and uh you know i was talking to a chiropractor uh uh last year um him and his dad won a, a day of fishing with me through uh, a tire discounter group who i do some promotional work with firestone tires and and uh this young guy who fished and golfed, I said, Hey, uh, a good article for, for you to do a down the road would be the effects of looking down at your screen in a boat when you're standing up and what it'll do to your neck and that, and what kind of exercises and, and, uh, maybe, uh, um, something you could prevent that. What should you do when you're not fishing? Because there's so many folks that are locked on their screen now, in tournament fishing and recreational fishing and if you're standing and you're looking down all the time it's got to be hard in your posture right oh yeah yeah i'm sure you feel it i've adapted a whole like there's a 12 minute it's called the personal foundation workout that i had never heard of before forward facing sonar came out now i have to do it at every tournament yeah well yeah if you don't you're gonna get a lot of weird things i think happening in your neck and back and stuff that probably your body's not used to and and that and i don't know i mean i i try to look around a lot too and probably my biggest fault is not staring at the screen all the time when i should be you know right Uh, my add sets in and and that (laughs) looking around at the boat going by and the birds flying and whatever you know uh but there's no quite and especially if i'm in shallow clear water i'm using my eyes more but you know obviously you should be using the forward facing sonar too for you know, if there's glare on the water, you know, it could be picking up fish that you're not seeing with your eyes and that you could catch it a lot easier before you get over over top of them, right? So, yeah, it's uh, it's changed the game, that's for sure. And it's going to, it's gonna you know, get better and better. I, I believe all these companies are working on, you know, the, the next version to up, up themselves, you know, with the competition. And they're all pretty good right now from what I've been hearing. Every manufacturer's got pretty good units out there some have better than others in in some things yet that one's better in something else and 
I've been hearing all these comparisons. I'm not sure who to believe, you know, whether it's the guy running this unit or that unit or whatever. You just got to run with whatever you're running and hope you know how to use it properly. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so the only ones you can believe are ones that got, you know, say three manufacturers on their boat. They've used them all a lot, right? Yeah, well, you see a lot of them just stick with a few different, like I have a couple different types of graphs in mine and like lots of people just do that now. Yeah, and you're using one for forward imaging and one for more mapping or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. I uh, I'm loving it though. But I'll tell you, keeping up with this technology, it's 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 interesting because uh, you know I I like fish in shallow water and I like weeds. You know, not big deal. Most of the lakes I go to now, that's not even a player, even if they have that. Yeah open water fishing fish that you know you're you're seeing on your graph or suspended you know out from the boat whatever so so you know but but i did make a a good living in the early years in shallow weeds when nobody knew how to flip and pitch and i remember being in kentucky back in the late 70s around 78 i think it was i was down in kentucky at this tackle store and uh fred uh uh was his name fred green i think it was he owned the tackle store and he had a flipping rod, Fenwick flipping rod. And uh, I bought, bought my first one down there, but he taught me in his tackle store how to flip. And that was before pitching, but the pitching evolved, but you know, flipping with stripping line off. Yeah. And, yeah. Know. The old school. And I brought it back to Rondo Bay in Southwest Ontario where I lived. And I remember jumping in that, that 17 foot glass drawn or 15 foot glass drawn that we had um, with the 85 and, I went to this old stone foundation that I knew always had a bass and you could always throw a crankbait and catch one, two, three, four bass off it. They'd school up. Sometimes it'd be one, sometimes it'd be a little wolf pack of them on the stone foundation that was flooded mm-hmm. on the corner of a sandbar. And it was just, you know, some old rock from the uh, corner of a shack or house or whatever was there years ago. And, um, uh, so I, I thought, well, there's got to be a bass there. There always is when you crank it. And it was only in about three feet of water. And then it dropped in about eight feet in front. So so I went up to it and I got the boat positioned. I was probably about, I don't know, maybe eight feet away from it. And I just sort of did a half flip and let the jig sink down beside it. And all of a sudden the line starts going sideways. And I tighten up, set the hook, and it's like a three-pound largemouth or so. And that was my first flipping bass um with that technique and you know just catching that fish just all of a sudden with a short line go okay this is cool i know how to do this i i'm gonna practice and get better but and you know wayne and i went on to win so many tournaments in the early 80s and and that on flipping you know we won uh pigeon lake uh uh the holland river on lake uh, simcoe um Scugog, uh, Belleville, Bay Aquini, on and on. We won so many tournaments flipping and pitching because nobody else was doing it. Yeah, and that's probably got you on that constant hunt for the edge. Well, <laughs> like you, you still fish, haven't stopped because all you saw how, how beneficial untouched. it could be. Yeah. They were untouched on undercut banks and in little reed clumps and in floating weed mats. They were untouched fish. And so that that happened for, I don't know, maybe three years or so. And, where now you would get away with it for like one tournament or two tournaments and everyone would be on it. Yeah. Back they, then you could ride that wave a little bit. I guess yeah, if you were sneaky enough, but you well, had a TV and, show and, too. And I heard Kessler talk about that. And, you know, he was talking about sneaky and using the, the buoy marker with the short line that drifted off. Well, 
<laughs> I used to always throw a buoy marker out on offshore stuff before GPSs, but I'd line it up with something I could see, like a barn or cottage on the shore or a tall tree. And if I was catching fish here, I would line it up, and then about uh, 80 yards away, I would put my buoy marker on nothing. Yeah. On nice. And so, you know, my brother Wayne would pull up beside me in a tournament, and I'd be, you know, smallmouth fishing. He'd see that buoy out there, but I'd be off it, right? And he'd see that buoy, and I'd see him idle, idle, and then all of a sudden he'd go right to the buoy and start fishing. <laughs> and then it'd be if it was calm and you know I could hear him, he'd yell over, "Man, I ain't catching anything over here. What, uh, what, what'd you mark here?" I said, "Oh, they got to be there somewhere." <laughs> I'd be sitting on the juice over here, but I wouldn't tell him that. I, I did that for a few tournaments just just for fun. And, hey, you know, bro, what are brothers for, right? Yeah, you got to throw some sneak in there. I remember Troy Norman at Sturgeon Bay, actually. You'll like this. Uh, he, he told me. I, I went there quite a few years after the Marabou heyday, but he said in, in the in the true heyday of it, he said every boat that would drive by, he would just start working his Marabou like a jerk bait all the way back to the boat. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Hey, I'm not I'm not throwing anybody under the bus tonight, but you know what? I could see him doing that very easily. Oh yeah. And knowing, knowing, knowing him and that partner is he probably started stroking bass doing that too. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted an erratic movement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I throw it in there lots too. That was a good trick. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, it's so funny. I mean, how many times have you been practicing before? A boat comes by, and I'll tell you a funny story. This this happened on Rice Lake. I mean, back in the '80s too. But but I fished a weed line for largemouth. It was the day before the tournament, and uh, a buddy of mine. I'm not gonna say his name now because I never told him this. Well, he saw it, so but I'm not gonna throw him under the bus. But anyway, he pulls up beside me, and starts working toward me, and all of a sudden I feel a hit. And he starts talking as he's electric and towards me. And so I hit the free spool button and I don't set or nothing. And as he's talking about a minute later, a four and a half pound largemouth comes jumping about three feet in the air, right beside his boat. And he's about 35 yards away from me. And I've been free spooling, free spooling, free spooling. This thing's going through the weeds and that. And finally it hooks itself and it jumps out of the water. He goes, is that your fish? And and I sheepishly tightened up and reeled in and said, yeah. But <laughs> I didn't want him knowing I was getting bit on this weed line, right? <laughs> but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, uh, um, I, I I remember flipping in the early years in reeds. Every time I'd see a boat go by, I'd lay down on the bottom of the boat real quick <laughs> so they couldn't see you. You'd be up in, in the cattails, right? Oh, I got you. I got yeah, you. Yeah, because they're high cattails. And you just lay down for a second and drive by, you know. And uh, But see, in the early years of <laughs> You got some sneak in your pocket then. Well, in the early years of tournaments, when we were winning a lot of them, I'll tell you what used to happen. We used to get people following us and people that would be in the tournament. But after day one, if you're leading it, they, they would sneakily follow you, right? Mm -hmm. So at a long point at one tournament, Wayne and I won. And... You know, it was a decent one. It was like 10 grand for first. And, and we got onto a good buzzbait pattern for largemouth. And uh, first day we were leading. Second day, we're running in the inner bay. And I see a boat that's like about a half a mile out, but it's running parallel to us. And I go, why are they kind of running out there, but the same direction? I don't like it. 
because we had quite a run to go, but we had it all to ourselves, right, where we were catching them. So I deked in the turkey point in the pencil reeds, which was, you know, not, you know, probably about three miles into our probably 15-mile trip. And we take it off plane in the pencil reeds. And I see this boat do this huge Yui, and it pulls in like 40 yards in front of us in the pencil reeds, like a big Yui in a circle back. And I'm like, man, this isn't even where I want to fish, but I just wanted to deke them out, right? Yeah. And they're cutting us off. It's not even where I want to fish. So I pick up my buzzbait rod that I was going to actually fish in the, the spot we had caught him the day before. I throw out a cast and sure enough, I get an explosion and miss the fish, right? And I don't even throw another cast. I put the rod down quick. I hadn't even put the trolling motor down yet. I, If Wayne was driving or I was driving in those team turns those early years, and I was a lot better shape back then, and Wayne's always been in shape. Even at his age, nine years older than me, he still cuts firewood and is, is you know, very, very fit for his age. Super yeah. fit. We'd run to the front of the boat before it was off plane. Like, yeah. we'd be like this, and one of us be in the bow of the boat throwing a cast. Well, anyway... Those guys got their life jackets off, and as soon as they got their trolling motor in, I jumped down the driver's seat. I had my life jacket still on. I said, Wayne, hold on, and I planed it out of there as quick as I could. <laughs> and they were too embarrassed to follow us at that point. And the guy comes up to me, won the tournament, right? And this, yeah, this guy comes up to me, and I, I definitely am not going to say his name because he's still alive now. <laughs> Anything, uh, you know, he shakes my hand well and uh, congratulates us for winning and all that. And he says, I can't believe you found that spot. I said, what spot? Where you started this morning. I mean, I just can't believe you found that spot too. And I'm like, I threw like one cast and we left. What are you talking about? But he was, he was very good at not telling the truth. That's all I'll say. But he was so phony when he was congratulating me and telling me that I'd found the same spot as him when we didn't catch any fish there. It wasn't even where I wanted to stop. I was just deking him out. But anyway, it was, um, you know, I, there's the odd guy like that in tournaments, but, uh, yeah. Well, How do you roll into a tournament morning and like, that's your ace in the hole. We're going to follow Bob and Wayne. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, fish him on their own spots. Hey, Hey, believe me after some bad years, that following never happened as much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> But you shook the bogey. Yeah, you know the, the funny thing is when you're winning, everybody thinks something's weird going on, or you're secretive, or you got something that's top secret or whatever. But but yeah, we we used to get a lot of that in the early years of uh, of that, but not as much now. You know, it's uh, and my, one of my deals in the, right from the start was outrun everybody. So in these Great Lakes tournaments, mm -hmm. if I had to run 130 miles one way, I would to fish. Unreal. And uh, that was just a strategy that worked some tournaments. Uh, some it didn't because, you know, you didn't have a lot of time if it's five and six foot waves and you had to run, run. Like I remember one, one tournament and I said to Darren on the St. Lawrence River, we were running uh, 90 miles to the mouth and then we had to run out in the lake to fish. Yeah. And we got so far and it was an east wind and they were really close. Where'd you take off out of? Sorry. Uh, more, um, Morrisburg. Morrisburg. It's so right way across there. Yeah, it's right across from where the U.S. tournaments are, not Messina. Um, Washington? Yes. Oh, it's, it's 90 there. miles to that mouth, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, so okay, we, go got, on. we only got about 50 miles into the trip, and I looked at my watch, and I said, Darren, there is no way we're even going to get to Lake Ontario, gas up, 
and be able to get back in time with no fishing. So I veered off. I looked at my GPS and I see this creek and I, I thought, you know, it was raining. It was an east wind about 25, 30 mile an hour. And it's going against the current. And the waves are tight and they're, they're breaking and we're pounding away. And I said, Darren, you know, I left a spare set of keys in my, uh, in my uh, gas uh, cap there at the, in the truck and i'm in a phone if we if you know what let's deke in here i've never even been here in my life and see what's going on but if it, i'm we're soaked and everything yes. and i said maybe i'll phone one of the tournament officials and I'll, I'll pay him to to bring our truck and that and that'll put us 50 miles closer and this is the classic right the last day of the renegade classic and yeah. uh i pull in uh in there and um bang catch decent fish and then catch another one and then pull up on a dock and i get one that's just a, a hair under six and darren gets a four at the same time on either side of the dock and you know we come in with a big limit that day and and came from like 14th place to third i think it was in the tournament but uh um i'll tell you the crazy thing is the first day i got stuck in largemouth in the river and I was planning on going to the lake, and it was flat calm the first day of the Classic, two-day Classic. And had I gone to the lake, I know I could easily put an 18 to 20-pound bag together, which is all we would have needed the first day. And uh, I got stuck on largemouth too long, and we had like 14 pounds and change, and we we're sitting like 14th or whatever uh, the first day. But I said to Darren after, at 10 to 11 in the morning, I said, let's make the run. So we made the run to Lake Ontario, but we had to gas up in Kingston because what I had to do is I was going to gas up in Kingston, go fish the lake, gas up again to make the 90 mile run back from the mouth. We gas up and I look at my watch and I say, man, we got 20 minutes to fish. We don't even have time to run anywhere on the lake I want to fish. So I went to one spot. I caught a goby about this big, a smallmouth about this big, and we made the run 90 miles long. <laughs> which it had Actually, it was probably 12, 15 minutes we fished. And we made the run back and got back in with about 10 minutes to spare. So I could have actually fished longer, but you don't know when you're making 90 miles, but the boat traffic's going to be in the boat wakes and stuff, right? It's, it's pretty hairy on a weekend run. But... I kick myself to this day because I had some patterns going on out in the lake nobody was doing back then. And and I think uh, a few years after that, I won that Everstart tournament out of uh, out of New York there and won a, mm -hmm. a boat and some good catch. And, and then the next year, I, I got second, but I should have won it, but I was too nice a guy and, and, uh, and blew that tournament by being a little generous. And and um, you know, when you got a co-angler in the boat, I don't like to see co-anglers come in with nothing, right? And I drew a guy the next year who guided with live bait out of Clayton, New York. And a nice guy. And he said, Bob, I can't come in with, a, you know, like I came in last year and I didn't have a limit one day as a non-boater, as a co-angler. I said, I'll look after you. Don't worry about it. So this is when the Gulp Fry had just come out. Berkeley had it. And, uh, and you know, we weren't, we, it wasn't a secret, but we weren't, you know, we weren't telling everybody, but a lot of guys knew about it. He didn't have any gulp fry. So I gave him some gulp fry and, uh, I can't, I've got like 20 pounds in the box already, maybe 20 and a half. And I'm calling and he's got like one or two small fish in the box. 
And I, I look at my graph on the front of the boat and there's this great big hook and there's no wind. And I said, reel up real quick. We're in like 34 feet of water. And I said, throw up my trolling motor and just open your bail, let it go right down. And I'm calling and then he sets the hook and I net him a fish. It's like a five and a half. And I don't have anything over four in maybe one, four and a half. And the others are like four, you know, uh, four pounds, four and a quarter, four, two, whatever. Then, and then, uh, um, I get another fish and it's another clone and I'm calling it. And I look at my graph and I said, reel up, throw up my trolling motor. He throws, he gets another one just under five. Either of those fish would have won the tournament for me. Oh boy. I, I told him to reel up and throw up my uh, trolling motor. And, and to this day, do I have any regrets? Not really. He, he ended up having a good showing. He had a good bag at the end of the day. But I still, I think I weighed like 21 and something. But either of those fish would have boosted me up because I think I only lost by, I don't know, four ounces or something or, I don't know, half pound or I don't know what it was. But I yeah, lost. That's, that's a tough one to take. Gussie told me uh, before I went last year, he was like, he's like, no matter how nice they are and no matter how nice you are and how much you want to help, he's like, do not. He's like, you just, he's he had been burned so many times, you know, inadvertently he's like, you just can't give them a bait and you can't give them the primo cast. Like don't block them to where they can't fish. But he's like, if you like, you have to. Well, the thing <laughs> is a lot of these co-anglers are great anglers. They're very yep. good. Anglers. They just opted to not fish in a boat or, or for whatever reason, or maybe financially, or just they want to fish as an onboard. The problem is, is, you know, we're paying a higher entry fee to fish in the front of the boat than they are in the back, right? Even though they've got nice yeah. money to win. But yeah. We've got the expense of, of practicing and towing a boat and boat casts and all that. And a lot of work goes into it. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, you know, they're in the boat. And if, and, you know, I've had some, like I remember one of the tournaments on Thousand Islands, I, I drew a guy that actually became pretty good friends with him. And Pennsylvania guy and Gosh, he, he had uh, a five-something, a six-something, and I don't know. I think he had 22 or 24 pounds, and I had 18 pounds that day. And, you know, you know when a guy's got like four or six pounds more than you for the Burning you up. But he was just a good stick, too. Yeah. He was a hardcore good stick, and it, was, it wasn't like I gave him anything. He caught him, you know what I mean? So he just outfished me, period without me really helping him other than I took him to the areas, but I didn't say, you know, cast him my trolling motor or something I, or cast at that boulder. He was just catching them. But, uh, you know, we've all been there and had that done uh, or sooner or later, if you haven't, it will happen where the co-angler, of course, what have you guys got a, a smaller limit for the guy in the back of the boat? Yeah, they can only catch three. So it's a little bit better and it's better for the, for people watching you too. Cause you have to do a bunch of math to figure out how bad they beat you if they beat you. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. not a not a direct comparison, but yeah, it's uh well it's yeah, because deal. for the average person, it looks like oh wow, they 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 had uh eight pounds in the back of the boat and yeah, yeah. he had sixteen. He really Yeah, you whipped them. <laughs> <laughs> or they had twelve and you had thirteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, still beat them, but if, if people knew the real truth, and I yeah. wish they had that, you know, in some of the other series because uh um it would have made a huge, huge difference. Uh, you know, at, 
I think in some of the events, but you know what? I've always liked seeing my co-anglers catch him. And I, I don't know. I don't think I've changed in that either. I, I like to see him have a good time in that. Now, um, you know, having said that, it's cost me some money, but hey, it is yeah. what it is. But in that tournament, it did hurt me on that, that one because <laughs> it would have been uh, the difference between, uh, I'm going to guess, 15 grand or 18 grand or whatever second was. I don't even know what it was instead of a full fully rigged ranger boat and like 30 grand us you know right it was a big big. so that was a a bit of a a dumb move on my part because you know he he, you know he might end up cashing a check for i don't know maybe 800 bucks right um for the fish that he did catch with me to move them up in the standings because i don't think he had that good of a a first and second day you know yeah i get it my first guy I had like that my first bass master like I didn't know how the process worked or anything like that so he was like coaching me through it he's a real nice guy I've had mostly positive experiences with all my co-anglers and I wasn't catching very many fish I was catching them on the smeltinator and five inch fluke like the standard and uh he's kind of asking about the bait he never asked for one I wanted to give him one so bad but I was like nope no I can't do it so at the end of the day I was like here bud and I broke the bait off my line and gave him that jig head and and jerk shad and and i went into the boat and got him a couple more well one of my travel partners for that tournament austin felix he was doing the same thing as me so he drew this co-hangler the second day and i ended up costing him money (laughs) (laughs) the co-angler ended up getting a check he had caught just enough with me and then he had a really good day with austin but he definitely caught some that austin would have caught hey and and austin missed the money by three spots or whatever so is that right so you know i came out smelling like a rose after that and he was doing the same thing yeah that's pretty wild what lake was that that was on cherokee cherokee eh well that is funny you know it's uh it's amazing though like some co-anglers i've drawn over the years are so dialed in you know and they're you know they're so good and uh I actually have drawn some coins I know are much better anglers than me that that should be in the front of the boat, but they opt not to and and that and you know they're machines, you know and you know a lot of the pros that actually are competing now, like Brian Thrift used to be a co-angler, right? Yeah, Jordan Lee, Jordan Lee yeah. uh, fished in the back of Gussie's boat. I think right. it was first down in that Florida one you guys were. Well, in. I I didn't know that. Yeah, no yeah. kid. Cause he pulled up, I went to Gunnersville with my wife like a few years later and I had one of Gussie's old boats and he pulled, Jordan Lee pulled up to us and, uh, he thought I was Gussie cause he had oh. fished in the back of his boat. Oh, that's funny. So yeah. him, Justin Lucas too. I, oh, he was co-angler as well. Yeah. So I was watching a little bit of Am I Luff today and I believe it's on uh, Cherokee. It goes to Cherokee tomorrow. They've been on Douglas beside okay, it. Douglas. Then. Yeah. And I saw Jordan Lee, and I, I, I was laughing because I was on a conference uh, call, but I was watching on another screen, and uh, and I, he had a hat that he must have, I don't know if he bought it or had it custom made, and I don't think tourism from that county in Tennessee would like it. This lake, this lake sucks. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to buy, he sells them on his website, uh, jlee.com, if you want one. I was going to buy one for my for one of my travel partners. Uh no way. Chirping the lake. I they were all like, out of I even like the crappiest lakes out there, Jamie, just so you know. I, <laughs> I don't mind tough fisheries. I, I like them. Uh, if weights are down, it's even uh, it's even sometimes 
not easier, but it might be a little beneficial, yeah. you know, if you don't know the water, if it's a tough fishery. But I laughed. I didn't know that that had existed. And I was yeah. laughing. It's thinking, a chamber of commerce worst nightmare. Oh, yeah. I can't <laughs> imagine. I don't think they're going to be giving him a key to the city. <laughs> no, he's not going to dinner with the mayor. <laughs> I don't think so. That was awesome, though. I saw that. I, uh, I, oh, that's funny. I, 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 I had to look at it about three times because he kept turning around, turning around. <laughs> Because I kept seeing the word sucks, and I go, no, that can't be. It must be like a name of a bait company or something, right? And, uh, and then finally, I caught it when he was talking to the camera, and I go, what the heck? <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I can't wait to tune in and watch that tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that. That one's circled because it's cold enough. They'll probably be doing the probably be doing the Kessler Stooner out there on Cherokee. Yeah, it'll that's be cool. interesting. Uh, is the water? I didn't. I didn't see enough of. Is the water temp still pretty cold down that way? Yeah. Yeah. There was like a fall spring, like everything heated up and then it just cooled right off. So that falls right into like Gussie's wheelhouse for the classic. And like, I hope could, so. Could be a good, could be a good week for Canada. It, and the Johnsons it'll, be, too. it'll be interesting to see how many fit largemouth are moving towards the, uh, the bank though, you know, um, like, is it, you say it's in the fifties? Uh, it might be cooler than that. It had warmed up significantly. Like they had a freak spring for how warm it was. And then everything just like it was below freezing temperatures for a few days, and things like that. So, well, hopefully it's not too muddy for those smallmouth to be a player, you know. Um, and you yeah, know, Cooper, be a good watch. Cooper's very good with his electronics too. And, and the Johnson boys are no slouches with anything you throw at them. So, they, yeah, I, I predict that we're going to see uh, one. To, I, I think two Canadians are going to fare pretty good in the Classic. And, I, I mean, the odds of all four of them being in the top ten are pretty astronomical. But uh, because, you know, you got some really good anglers in that field, a lot of good, yeah. you know, young anglers that are really good. But it's going to be interesting. I'm excited to watch it all. It's uh, I know a lot of guys from this area, guys and girls, have gone down or are going this week. And I had... Um, uh, one guy just bugging me yesterday saying, come with me. He says, we'll fly down and then we'll drive back with so-and-so. And I said, I can't go because I, I finally am back. I got to get some work done. I'm, I'm still rigging boats and working on stuff and that. But, but anyway, uh, yeah, a lot of Canadians will be down at the classic uh, cheerleading uh, the boys there. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. There's a whole mix of Australians in there too. Uh, Cause it's Carl, Carl Yochumson's first or Jochumson's first classic. Oh, so. wow. There's a whole crew. One of them, one of them that is coming over actually bought a car to live in here and he's going to do a bunch of opens, uh, as a co-angler. He's going to live in his car. So I, I was like, well, man, if I have room, like you can hop in, like Gussie put me in touch with him. I was like, you can hop in with us and you can pre-fish with me and whatever, but he'll, uh, he'll have some good stories. He's never seen a bass before. Oh, that's funny. Live in his car. Well, Hey, I, I was there uh, when I was starting out at, if I didn't win enough money, uh, you know, to get a hotel, uh, the one term, and then, hey, if it was sleep in my car for that event, I would. But I didn't like to, but that's what happens sometimes in those early years of fishing for a living. But uh, Hell, I'm 33. I still sleep in my truck from time to time. So. Well, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Jamie. I like pillow top mattresses. I like comfort right now, okay, at my age. So if I can afford a hotel with pillow top mattresses now, I kind of err towards that with nice soft pillows, you know. But, but hey, I've been, <laughs> been there, done that before in the early years, and that's the way it was, you know. Um, but uh, 
I I just find that you know a good night's sleep is it's hard, but you know you take Klon, Rick Klein used to camp at tournaments for years, right? Yeah, Cooper still climate, does. Cooper you know, loves it. Yeah, get get in tune with the climate, and then look at Cooper. You know him and Danny uh, McGarry used to sleep in the back of that little truck, uh, and I'll never forget running into them at the one tournament and. Uh, um, in Quinny, and they they've done had a very good track record that Quinny Cup that they ended up winning there, uh, um, maybe twice they won it I think. But anyway, here's the funny thing: is they'd sleep the, in this little truck. It wasn't even a full size pickup. And Danny's telling me, "Oh, it stinks in there. It got so hot last night." And I said, "Oh yeah." And he, I said, "Pretty tight quarters." Yeah, but Coop's mom put this blanket in there, and it's the dog uses it, so <laughs> it got hot all the the smell of the dog come out of the blanket and we're in this little camper not camper it's a cap on a little pickup and he had tackle storage underneath and the two of them would have to sleep about this close together in the back of the truck right and they were parked in the grocery store parking lot <laughs> and and i was you know being sarcastic and trying to be funny at the same time but i said hey Maybe I can go over there and befriend the manager of the grocery store where you guys are staying and see if you can plug in there and get user hydro because I think they're using a generator or something. But but maybe you can plug in and maybe they'll let you get some of the day old food coming. Up. <laughs> Just peasants, eh? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, I remember Andy Apleta uh, and his family ran the tournament. They had ordered all this chicken from this local fried chicken uh, restaurant that was there had really good chicken and there was all this leftover chicken and i remember the boys got a whole pile of that from andy and that's what they lived on for the weekend for the tournament was this fried chicken from the friday night meeting right oh i love it yeah they're yeah they're hard two of the most hardcore guys i've ever met danny's actually gonna i think uh, i think we might be staying together at st lawrence oh they're good they're good kids they're good guys and i yeah. Yeah, yeah, Coop stopped by down in Alabama. Both of them wheeled by the house for a couple beers on the wind day. It's nice to have, uh, nice to have them boys down there. Yeah, they're just good, <laughs> good people, and and very driven, and they're fish heads, you know, like all. Yeah. Of them. So, I uh, I think I think you know, Danny. You know, I was sad to see Danny didn't fare well at that first one. I think did he? He had a good. He he saved his ass because he was like in. Well, he was damn near in last place, and if you're under 175 out of the 225, you get zero points. Did he get any? He uh, he moved up from like two two fifteen to hundred and fiftieth or whatever, so he okay. at least got some points. Like, didn't you know? And he's he doing him. all of them too, right? He's doing all of them too. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I talked to him briefly at the spring fishing and boat show uh, about a month ago or whatever, and and uh, yeah, and I, I didn't get a chance because it was loud at the uh, the after party there, so. Didn't get a chance to talk to him too too much in, in that with the music playing because they're karaoke and stuff. But but uh, I thought he was doing them all. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, yeah. you guys the only two Canadians doing them. No, all? there's there's five of them. There's five of us. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Ryan that's... Clark, uh, Evan Kung, and uh, Paul Bouvier. Oh yeah, seeing that right. Yeah, I think, yeah, he fished Renegade, I think. Uh, yeah, we all suck. None of them got a limit both days at Fall uh, Well, we got to get a Canada better show. I mean, the next. What's the yeah. next one coming up? Next one's Toledo Bend. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so we'll see how the, see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, and when is that? Uh, April, like, 15th? 
Yeah, that'll be interesting. A lot, a lot goes on in that lake. Mm -hmm. I fished it in the seventies. So this, this is how crazy it was in nineteen seventy-seven. My brother, his wife, and I drove down there, got a guide, and we we fished one day on Toledo Bend, and I'll never forget walking out the dock and Tommy Martin, who won one of the early uh, Bassmasters Classics in the 70s, yeah. was walking out to his, uh, I think he was a Skeeter guy or a basket guy back then, but he's walking out to his bass boat at the end of the dock with decoys. Him and another guy were going duck hunting at first light that morning. And I was all excited as a teenager. I mean, I was, you know, my early, you know, what was I back then? I don't know. Uh, 18 years old maybe or whatever and i was excited because i knew who he was and everything and got to say hi to him and that and because the guide told me who it was and i i knew him from bassmaster magazines right so here he is like going duck hunting in a bass boat and i'd never seen that before i said oh wow i should do that with my bass boat when i get back home i didn't take a boat back then because i didn't have a vehicle to be good enough to tow it all the way to to texas so we just yeah, Wayne and I got a guide, and eh, we caught some bass and that. But you know, it was all offshore, you know, flooded timber fishing back then. Yeah, I don't think a whole hell of a lot's changed there. Yeah, no, I don't think so. It'd be interesting to see if the forward imaging plays a big part. If the fish around the trees, or you might be right when they're up spawning, right? Yeah, I'm sure they'll still. It sounds like we might be kind of at the tail end of that. I'm sure they'll be. I'll be looking offshore. I'll tell you that. There's no way I'm going to compete with uh, one of those guys on the bank on a better. So no, and the bank the banks get beaten on almost every lake, and and the odds are better if you find the right fish offshore. So many lakes now with the technology, but it's uh, you know it, it's funny. I uh, I'm hoping so many guys get you know into this offshore fishing that'll give me some shoreline i can go back to and relive some of the old days but yeah well that's what someone asked john cox and he's like well no because by the time they get there they're all beat up anyway <laughs> from everyone cracking them on their way in and then on their way out so yeah, yeah it's funny eh? what a guy to make a, a good living fishing shorelines eh? oh incredible yeah incredible it, to follow it, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves you know and if that changes as as he gets more company back, I, I, hard to say though. It's there's a lot, lot happening in the world of fishing with, with forward technology and and uh, and you know trends. But you know everything seems to go full circle, uh, some way, shape, or form. But I'm not sure about that though. I don't know because bank <laughs> fishing is just so limited sometimes, right? Yeah. And to win a tournament on a bank is so hard to do. You need some a few miles of it, I think. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I could do it in the early years, but but uh, I have proven to myself that bank beating, even in these southern Ontario turns, is not going to win you any tournaments or very few. No, no, I think that's being accepted now. Mind you, fighter won AOI on the bank, right? He didn't right. win a single tournament, but he won the overall, which was, I mean, they say that's the hardest thing to win in fishing. I would agree with that. Bassmaster AOI. Yeah, we, we won uh, the Quinny Cup, um, I don't know, maybe five years ago, I'm guessing thereabouts. Uh, and we were primarily fishing the bank. But, uh, and just to tell you in five or six years how it's changed, the Quinny Cup last year, we were the biggest way to largemouth. I think we were like seventh place or something. Right. With about 30, maybe 32 or 34 pounds. I can't remember. But then every weight above us was smallmouth for the most part. 
Yeah. Everything's got to go perfect for you just to be in the top five or top yeah. 10. And yeah, yeah. And I know those, the feeling. And all those guys fishing smallmouth, most of it was forward imaging. Yeah. And we were beating the bank, uh, reliving memories and, uh, and just, uh, wishing and hoping, but, uh, you know, it taught me something. I mean, you know, I, I'm a little slow at times, Jamie, but I will say when I find out, and that's one thing I've always done at tournaments too, is I've tried to stick around for the weigh-ins and I try to stick around and talk to folks after, because if I can glean, I don't care about location. I don't mm-hmm. want GPS spots or any of that, but I just want to know how did they beat us? Did they fish shallow? Did they fish deep? Did they fish rocks? Did they fish weeds? Did they fish transitions, bottom chain. What, what depths did they fish? That's all I want to know. I don't care where because that's their spots, but I do want to know what type of water was fish to beat us, you know, in, you know, fifth and sixth and fourth and third. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I hear you. Well, yeah, it's accessible now. You can just go online and watch everyone whip you if you're yeah, fishing. You have to get a scalpel out and perform lobotomies on people. And I was so tired after those tournaments, and most of my buddies just hopped in their vehicle and laughed, right? But I just yeah. around till, till the last man was standing at those turns just to find out what did I do wrong and what they do right, you know? And, you, you know, you're always learning, right? So... Yeah, that's that's committed to the cause, Bob. Well, um, no, that's just that's just trying to trying to get it because, as you know, as you know, as much as we take in, um, there's always mistakes we're going to make. But it's just trying to have enough up here uh, to make those right decisions. But uh, anyway, it'll be fun this year. I I really do hope, though, Jamie, you have a great season on the opens. Okay, I'll be watching. Okay. Okay, I appreciate that. That's I a bunch you. of extra pressure. I liked it better uh, when you Jamie, when I didn't know so you were you watching. Know. Just so you know, for you, I'm going to do this. If I happen to not see who's doing well the day one or day two or that, if I if I only catch the last day standings, if I'm on the road fishing another tournament or whatever, I'm not going to start at the bottom. I'm going to start at the top and look for your name and work my way down, okay? Okay, that's hey, that's saying a lot. <laughs> yeah, because I do have friends and acquaintances that I know if they're in tournaments, I automatically go to the bottom and look for them. And it's I'm all not about efficiency. I know you're a better angler than that, so I don't have to look at the bottom. Okay. Well, hopefully it doesn't cost you too much extra time this year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have to go through four pages to find you. Okay. <laughs> Bob, can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, I've got you over two hours now. Uh, you're, this is the longest podcast we've ever done. I'm sure we could go another two hours, but you got to get to bed. You're in Eastern time. It's getting late there. Hey, listen, um, we we got to go for let's let's next time do try for the longest fishing podcast ever. I want to see how many people we can put to sleep. Okay. Yeah, Jim yeah. Moyna's got a thing on YouTube where he just tells stories that literally to put sleep people to sleep. That's the title. <laughs> okay. so we can't cut his grass. See, he's been there, done that. You know, that's <laughs> it's a already problem. a thing. No edge there. Think of him fishing. Somebody's already thought of. But uh, <laughs> I wish you all the best. Okay. I appreciate it, pal. Uh, lots of long road trips coming up. If you have any, give me a shout anytime. I'm sure we could uh, fill some airspace. But right thanks on. again, bud. Wish you all the best. Thanks. Take care.